Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, your pop culture home. Okay. Well, hello, everyone. You're listening once again to Where the Big Boys Play. I'm here with Chad as ever. How are you doing, Chad? Uh, doing okay, but I think we should have a moment of silence for the official end of the Atlanta Falcon football season. Um. How much how, how much dead air do you want to give it, Chad? Uh, that was good enough. <laughs> That's about <laughs> all they deserve, the way they're playing right now. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, we have a guest this week, uh, Derek Cornett. How are you doing, Derek? I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for um, letting me come on the show. Uh, Chad contacted me about maybe four or five months ago and talked about it, and I've been looking forward to it ever since, so... Yeah, well, I mean, people do um, get in touch once in a while, you know, about being um, a, a guest on the show. And uh, Mr. Chad Campbell is Mr. Organized. He's got these things sorted out months in advance, right, Chad? Like, there's a guest list all the way going until 1992 or something, right? Yeah, we're uh, actually booked all the way to uh, 1993, so <laughs> we're way in advance here. Um, okay, so just before we get into this week's... Uh, uh main event great american bash 90 um let's have a little get to know you session with uh with derek um so derek can you give us a bit of uh your background as a wrestling fan and also where are you from how long have you been watching and well so- i uh, i originally was i'm from illinois um i'm actually in awa country if anybody um ever followed that little map that they showed i'm actually right in the middle of it um My greatest claim to fame with wrestling outside of doing it myself is that my grandma actually dated uh, Billy Robinson. Wow. Harv, you know who Billy Robinson is, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, probably the greatest catch wrestler in the history of professional wrestling. And uh, my grandma definitely laid lumber. So that was pretty exciting to hear about. (laughs) Wow, and he was pretty good at working the old rest hold as well. So you're a lucky grandma, though. (laughs) He knew what he was doing. Um, but <laughs> now, it, legend has it that Billy Robinson isn't a very nice guy. Did, have you heard anything uh, from your grandmother about that? No, he was not a very nice guy. Um, even even the stuff I hear about now. And she said when they were partying, he was a nice guy. But, you know, he was a womanizer. Uh, just not a very humble gentleman. And even, even now I've went and watched some of his videos on catch wrestling. And he's just not a very fun person to be around, it seems like. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, nobody like he's one of those guys who most people haven't got much nice to say about, despite what being one of the greatest technical wrestlers of all time. Um, I've Chad, Billy Robinson, there's that one great match with Bockwinkle. But other than that, have you really enjoyed him? Uh, I mean, I've seen his match that he has with a giant Baba. I like that one a lot. Um, I mean, I, I probably that's the one area 
the 70s, 80s, your world of sport or British wrestlers is probably one of my weakest areas, would, along would you know, with like 80s lucha. Billy, Rob, Billy Robinson wasn't really on world of sport that much. He was much more, well, he wrestled for AWA quite a lot, but he was yeah. one of these guys, a bit like Terry Funk, you know, who'd travel about. He was more of like an international wrestler, I guess. He'd do Japan for six months. He'd do AWA for a few months. and Yeah, yeah he's one of those type of guys. Um Anyway, Derek, uh, this isn't about Billy Robinson. It's about yeah. uh, your background as a fan. So continue. But what I was I was getting to um, is that is what started me as a fan because my grandfather, who ended up marrying my grandma, um, he he used to get home and he'd work second shift or third shift and he'd get home and we'd watch wrestling in the mornings. So I was born in 1986. Um, my earliest wrestling memories are from 1989. Um, with the uh, Saturday night's main event uh, with Hogan versus DiBiase, I remember watching that show, um, and that's that's why this is my wheelhouse. Here is I've gone back and watched all those things over again, and it's amazing memories. Great. And were you mainly a WWF fan at that time, or did you were you able to see TBS as well? I was actually more of a WCW fan because of the way that my schedule was as a kid. I watched Saturday night all the time. I watched the Clash of the Champions all the time. Um, I wasn't really big into the Saturday, Sunday morning shows. So, And uh, coming from Illinois, uh, how big was AWA at that time? It was obviously in its death row, but did you get to see any of that stuff? You know what? I don't remember any AWA. I remember USWA coming on sports uh, on um, ESPN. If you guys can remember that, um, back in the early '90s, I, I remember Jeff Jarrett when he first got started back then. But that was the that's the only outside WWE WCW stuff that I had ever seen. Well, I mean, Chad in particular has been exploring that stuff recently, right? The uh, early '90s USWA. Yeah, and it's uh, really a lot of fun. Um, I mean, there's that's a whole another show, kind of going through <laughs> all that. Ton of interesting characters you don't see a whole lot, like Billy Joe Travis, uh, some kind of guys like that. Eric Embry in the late '80s, early '90s, very prominent. So, um, Derek, how did you? So that's your kind of early fandom. How did you progress? You know, uh, did you were you a fan all the way through? Uh, until now, or did you have any periods where you kind of zoned out? Um, absolutely. My my key to fandom was the wrestling figures. Um, I had so many, and my grandma would tell me about how I'd just go sit at her house and I'd bring my wrestling guys, and I could just sit there, put in a movie, and play. And I remember going uh, with her, she'd let me go rent a movie, and I'd go rent wrestling movies by myself. I mean, at, four, at five and six years old, being able to do that, it was just, I was always so hooked on it and watching and then playing it out. Um, obviously, my big favorites were the Royal Rumble because um, I could watch those VHSs and they always had that gimmick to them. You know mm. what I mean? I was always a gimmick match fan. Um, the War Games is my other huge, I love the War Games. Um, that's the other big gimmick that I love and Growing up, I'd always try to imitate wrestling with my wrestling figures. That's why this show in particular is one of my favorites because this is about the time that WCW came out with their Galoob uh, 
play line, and I have those guys sitting at my house. They're beat to hell, but I still have them, and I can remember uh, playing with them when they came out. When you were playing with your figures, Derek, did you have any particular favorites? Like, were there any guys you always put over other guys and things like that? Well, that was the funny thing is because I had Sting and I had Hulk Hogan, and I could put them together to face the Horsemen, and it was incredible. I mean, it was like it was like video games that we see now where you can create a wrestler. It was like you could put both of these worlds together, and um, it was it was awesome. And I remember I used to get like Batman figures, and I would use them as the jobbers, and I'd literally <laughs> do television shows. Because that's what was on back then, and I loved doing it. And I'd set the guys up next to one another, who was going to face who. And it was it was incredible. I loved it through and through. So, Right, right. And so um, this is still kind of early 90s. What, what happened as the 90s progressed to your fandom? Um, it, was, it was really great. I grew up in such an awesome era of watching the Monday Night Wars were obviously humongous. Um, and I remember when I was a kid watching the Monday Night Wars religiously, but I was a WCW number one guy. I mean, I watched their stuff religiously, even though the WWF was more apt to come to where I live. Um, I lived near Rockford, Illinois, which is where the Rockford Metro Center is. Um, if any of you guys remember WrestleMania 13, the night after that, they were at the Metro Center. I didn't get to go, but... Um, it's a pretty pretty big arena for the WWE. They came through a couple of times, um, done some pretty big shows there, um, and it just built up. And I remember when I was a kid, it was Channel 33 was TNT and Channel 34 was USA, so I could flip back and forth that easy. Um, I watched religiously all the way up until I was a sophomore in high school. I moved at that point out of my house and went to a seminary in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Well, part of that deal was I didn't get to watch TV anymore, but I still read the results online, um, kept up with the program. And after that, when I moved back home, I've watched here and there from 2003 to 2005. Um, I was never a Triple H fan. I'm still not. I would mm. say that his his um, impact on wrestling during that time is what led me to not watch um, I just didn't care for him. And then I got back into it in 2005. I've been watching Monday Night Raw weekly since then. I'm not a SmackDown guy, um, but I've got a humongous collection of wrestling that I go back and watch. I have syndicated programs. I have all the pay-per-views you can imagine. And uh, leading up to this, I was watching some of the power hours um, that led to this show. So I've been doing my research. Fantastic. Uh, and do well. Chad, do you have any questions for Derek here? Well, uh, the first area I became uh, aware of Derek was through his territory wars, which is uh, basically something that, to me, is pretty incredible because, I mean, I mean, I guess fantasy booking and some kind of wrestling type of fantasy booking has been around for a while, but, uh, but I think Derek goes above and beyond the uh, – board of call there and you know part we did one show one fantasy draft a couple of shows ago and that was kind of a pain in the butt you know us <laughs> trying to put together booking for four weeks and stuff like that uh derek now for about five years has put together at least one weekly show 
And, uh, you know, all pay-per-views has his booking plans mapped out. I know months in advance. Uh, definitely more organized than the actual wrestling company. So if uh, you want to talk a little bit about that, Derek. Well, that's, I mean, I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, I love the Territory Wars. It's been my baby. Um, as of right now, I've written over 460 World Wrestling Federation shows um, over the past four years. The year before that, I was writing for Mid-South Wrestling. Um, so I took what I did with wrestling figures, and I said, how can I translate this to what I want to do? And um, I talked to Justin and Scott, and we had seen a couple different avenues or ways that people do e-feds and things like that. And I didn't really want to do it that way. I loved the booking aspect of it. I, you know, I wanted to put my guys in a row and say, here's who's going to win and who's going to lose. And let's figure out the story and what it's all about. And that's why I'm a wrestling fan. I love this story. And so I sat down one night and made a database of 1,100 wrestlers and figured out who could be the first ones to be drafted. And then from there, we had drafts for the next two years almost of talent and big names coming out here and there. And um, I've kept it up. It's, it's been amazing. I, like I said, I'm, I'm well over 600 shows completely uh, in the past five years. And it's been an incredible ride. I continue to, to book and continue to find time to do it. I don't get to do it as much as I'd wish, but um, like Chad said, I've got WrestleMania booked, and WrestleMania is not for another five or six months. So uh, I spend a lot of time on it. I've got some great helpers. D-Ray, Derek LaRue, has been there since day one as a judge. Uh, without him, we don't go any further. You know, We're just right in a right, and there's nothing wrong with that, but he gives us feedback. It's, an inc it's incredible to have that. I've got uh, Chichins, Taz13, Random1, and Perfectly Straight Edge. They have been writing for a long time collectively. We just had a new guy, Richard59. He's from Louisiana. He's going to be taking up Mid-South. And uh, it's great to see these guys. And it's like they invest their time in something that you thought of. And it's incredible. I, I have nothing but respect for them. Yeah, well, and... If anyone's seen this stuff, it, it's deep, right, Chad? I mean, it goes, like, it's five years, and it's deep. Yeah, like, I mean, his his shows are booked. I mean, it's it's like a uh, regular Raw. So you'll have, you know, your 12, 13 segments or so. Uh, the promos are detailed out, so you're not going to hear, you know, John Cena came out and cut a promo, and that's it. No, you're going to hear verbatim what he has to say, Uh <laughs> To advance the feud, so uh, Derek will write in character, and it's it's very uh, all around, you know, full bore wrestling federation. It's it's actually really funny when I write some of the promos, like for instance, CM Punk or Steve Austin. I get in that character and I start talking like they would talk, I guess, or what <laughs> I think they would say, or how they would say it. Um, the big ones are Roddy Piper. I loved writing Roddy Piper promos because you can just go off, you know, and that's what I love bringing to it, and that's where my creativity is. Right, well, and if, if people want to check that stuff out, it's on the Bigelow34.proboards.com site, right? Yep, it's right there in the middle. We've got our own section because we're legit. Uh, we've got archives that date back to August from 2008, so... Um, you guys go back and check it out. I run the WWF. We've got uh, some really great stuff there from all the writers and everybody that contributes. I do uh, bi-monthly magazines. We have news. We have all kinds of great stuff. So 
we make it as real as possible. And if people want to get involved, can they just go ahead and join the site and Absolutely. get in touch with you? Join the site. Um, we just had one of our last drafts um, a couple weeks ago, and we have got this enormous amount of talent that's just sitting out waiting for somebody to come pick them up because the rosters at this point are really set. But we've got so many big promotions still left out and some big guys like Tiger Mask, Bob Backlund, uh, Ernie Ladd, Giant Baba, um, a bunch of Japanese stalwarts. We've got some big tag teams. Um, it's for people that want to do some good stuff and, and really have fun with it. So more power to them. Great. And uh, Chad, you uh, you mentioned the show 50 that we did, the, the draft, right? Um, yeah. Do you think it's about time we announced the results of that? <laughs> uh, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to give <laughs> Brad any credit. <laughs> Um, yeah, now, Derek, I don't know if you hear this, but I'd, I mean, I'd love to, if you uh, do go back and listen to that show, I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, how the four of us did. We're, we're kind of uh, novices, I guess, at the whole fantasy booking thing. But um, looking at the results, uh, we asked two questions. Who had the best 1990 fantasy draft? Brad basically stormed that. 48% of the votes, Chad. Basically, almost half of everybody who, who voted uh, gave it to him. And who had the best booking plans? Once again, it was Brad. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Brad's wife and uh, Brad's corgis uh, all voted for him. So all members of the Woodlink family. Yeah, were, or like uh... Brad's iPhone, Brad's <laughs> Brad at work, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, so that that's what happened with that. So um, you know, d- d- there was talk of maybe doing another one. I'm not sure, Chad. Yeah, if, I, if I'm not going to be winning, I'm not sure if I want. <laughs> not going to do it. I'm actually uh, a, another quick, really quick plug before we start here. I actually am going to be doing another fantasy draft for our Off the Top Rope podcast, which is also on PlaceToBeNation.com. Uh, but it's going to be current day, and it'll be out uh, in about a week or so. Well, well, I, well, I guess if we ever did do it again on this show, Chad, and it, it won't be for a while, but Derek would be, you know, a man to come in. Just to see Brad get beat, right? We have to, because Derek, yeah. we, we know Derek will give it some serious. Yeah, talk. we can bring in the big guns and <laughs> not Brad off his pedestal. Yeah. Well, I'm looking. I'm looking back at the list here, and um, I, I remember looking at the list after it happened, and I saw how Brad picked the Horsemen, and he got Shawn Michaels so late, um, along with some big tag teams, and then S- Steve Austin. Not until the 16th round, I guess. At 1990, he wasn't at his peak. But I think if you were to fast forward this one year, if you were to go to 1991, Steve Austin is a guy that you pick in the first 10 rounds because of that stunning Steve character. Um, well, I, I, I mean, I guess me, like I was certainly coming at it from a like 89 going into 90, very much with the 1990 mindset on. Um, but I do wonder if uh, the fact that he was able to pick up people like Shawn Michaels were was going to for some of the more, how can I put this, casual uh, fans out there, maybe they maybe they thought that uh, you know that was a big steal in 1990. To, to me, to me, Shawn Michaels was just a mid carder, right? Yeah, yeah, he was a tag team wrestler at the and and if anybody remembers 1990, he didn't really do too much. He was hurt for most of the year. Um, yeah. What I find funny is Mark Callis at the at round 17. 
obviously we had the Undertaker character at the end of eighty or ninety, but at the beginning of ninety, he had a pretty good run there as a skyscraper, and then as Mean Mark. Uh, there's a mm. lot of value in him, I think, but that's just me. <laughs> He's actually not been bad, is he, Chad? On the on the show so far. Uh, no, but um, I have some interesting, I think, thoughts on his match tonight. So we'll get into that later. All right. So, well, shall we move on? Let's uh, let's yeah. get into the Meltzer, shall we? So, okay. So, th- thank you very much for that, Derek. Uh, interesting stuff. And uh, I would encourage if because um, there were, I mean, after we did our show, I think there were a few people who were interested in getting him all involved in more fantasy booking type stuff. Well, D- Derek is your man, I think. I don't think Chad and I are your people to take that forward, right? But uh, D- D- Derek certainly is somebody who's been doing it for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, um, before we move on real quick, I'm going to plug the Saturday morning uh, spectacular podcast. A couple months ago, we did another fantasy thing where we created a lineup of baseball movies. So each spot in the lineup had to co- coincide with what the movie was. So that kind of stuff really is exciting for people to read. So check out the uh, Saturday Morning Spectacular for those of you that know about it. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. Wrestling Observer Extra. With Dave Meltzer. Great. Okay. Um, not a lot of uh, Meltzer stuff uh, this week. Um, in fact, between the, this show and the, the Clash 11, uh, Chad, just two newsletters. And one of them is the one where he reports on Great American Bash. Mm. Um, so basically just one newsletter. And it's the Ju- July the 9th. Uh, actually, it's written two days after the bash. But um, this was he wrote it a couple of days beforehand. Um, and it's basically Meltzer speculating on rumors that uh, Sting is going to win the title at this event. And he goes through, you know, could it be true? Here's what's going to happen if it is true, if it isn't. Um, you know, he does a, he does a bit of uh, speculation there. Um, more interesting than that is some early speculation that Hogan wants a match with Ric Flair at WrestleMania 7. And uh, it's quite interesting to see him writing about this in 1990. Some in the business believe that this would destroy all pay-per-view and box office records. Others are more sceptical. In either case, the decision, ironically, lies with the evil Jim Hurd. <laughs> so um, Jim Hurd is really the person who's going to decide on uh, Ric Flair's fate in the next few months, uh, which is going to be an ongoing uh, story for 1990, I think. Um, now, one of the things they need to look at is saving money. Uh, they re- recently cut the Row Warriors loose, and apparently that saved the NWA 25k a week. Twenty-five thousand dollars a week in 1990 is not small change. Um, Apparently, Flair, Flair's contract is for anywhere between $150,000 and $730,000 a year. Um, and Meltzer's got quite an interesting note. He says, that's an awful lot of money to be spent on someone who's been downplayed to the point where he's no longer much of a drawing card. I just written in my notes here, what? Chad, down, Rick Flair downplayed to the point that he's no longer much of a drawing card. True or not? Bad. I definitely think uh, Ric Flair could and should be a a proponent of a big drawing card uh, at this point in the game. I haven't seen him, you know, so far he's been the MVP of the first few months of 1990, so. Right, you know that uh, that Clash 11 show, I think, what, did like 10,000 people, something like that? It, it, It didn't draw bad. 
you know, yeah. JYD and Flair. Um, Melter's got lots more analysis on the pros and cons of a possible Flair move to Titan. Um, Derek, I guess uh, this is a great one of the great fantasy booking scenarios. Uh, Rick Flair moves to WWF at this point. What do you reckon? Uh, it's really hard to say because if you rewind a year, it would have been perfect for him with all the other horsemen there. Um, but again, that that's always kind of one of those things that goes up in the air. How would the horsemen have been used in the WWE um, in the early 90s? Because I don't think they would have been the same as they were on the WWF simply because stables and factions were used differently. So now you fast forwarded a year and there's two things I want to talk about. Number one, if you watch the the history of WrestleMania DVD that came out, they speculate that Vince McMahon called Sergeant Slaughter over the summer and said, hey, we want you to come in because Hogan wants to face you at WrestleMania. Um, this, that would have been at this time. And I'm, I'm wondering what the truth to that is. Well, I mean, Meltzer's report is that uh, people are saying that Hogan wants to face Flair at WrestleMania 7 because this is the point, really. This is the last point in which these two guys are going to be at the top of the game. Flair's not getting any younger. Hogan's not getting any younger. The um, NWA seem like they're going in a different direction. This is the right point for Flair to jump. So let's do it now, type thing. Um, Hard to say, though. Uh, Can you... Chad, what do you think... I can't imagine Hogan would have been thinking of Sarden Slaughter in 1990. I mean, what was he even doing in AWA? Uh, no, I don't even think he was there then. I'm not. Slaughter's timeline gets me more confused than almost anybody else. But I, I do know uh, in the Keller stuff I looked at, it talks about them, you know, first reaching out to Slaughter around oh. this time. So. Uh, I think it was the middle issue, so like a week, week and a half before Great American Bash, just the cover story. Right, so the, uh, the Torch were leading on that, were they? Yes. Could, do you want to say any more on that? Uh, well, that that was basically just it. I mean, the Torch uh, kind of, again, like we talked about a little bit last week, has this weird format where, I mean, it was literally just like a paragraph of them saying that, WWF has reached out for Sergeant Slaughter to return, and it's kind of unknown what he's going to be doing, you know, when he does return. So, right, okay. Um, so, and what was the second point, Derek? Well, that's what I was going to get to. Let's so let's say that Ric Flair does come in. He would probably come in after this show, after he does the honors, or they would maybe possibly try to get the the buy out of. Ric Flair versus Sting, career versus career, something like that, like they did four years later down the road when Hogan actually did come in. So you have your big Easter egg thing at Survivor Series. That would have been the hokey way to bring him in. Mm. Or they could have done what they did the year uh, 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 the year ahead when Flair did come in with Bobby Heenan because at this time, it could have worked with who Bobby Heenan had. Um, I, it, I, it would have been interesting because you have to get the title on Flair for him to lose it. So would he be the one that would beat um, Ultimate Warrior at Royal Rumble or would it have happened earlier? So there's a lot of questions that go in there. 
Yeah, it's 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 difficult for me to even imagine Ric Flair beating somebody like an Ultimate Warrior in WF. I don't know how they would have done it, really. Um, I I suppose um, I guess you could just insert Flair right into Slaughter Spot, couldn't you? Not not run with the Gulf, you know, the Gulf War angle and run with something else at that time. Um, the only other thing I can think of is maybe allying Flair with. Uh, Undertaker and Jake, which is kind of what they did for a little while. Do you remember that period? When is that? That's around 91, 91. Yeah, that's the end of, yeah, that's towards 91. But at this time, Taker hasn't debuted yet. Oh, that's true. And uh, Jake, the, Jake the Snake is, is a full-blown baby face with the blinding angle. Is Macho King still around as well? <laughs> in, in 1990? Who's that? M- Macho King. Macho's- oh yeah, Macho Man is there, but he isn't even used on. I'm thinking at this point we've already had. Well, I don't know if they would have pulled the trigger that quick at SummerSlam in August, but I'm thinking more along the lines of November, and Macho Man wasn't even used at that point. He was just at the promo. So it, it's kind of weird at this time though, because they didn't really run singles matches on uh, Survivor Series. No, like for those early no. years. So. Yeah, no. Um, so un- unless he did it at some like Saturday night's main event, would it be the closest thing? Did, did they still do the main event in February, Chad? They, they did a lot of main events at that point. Yeah. And, and they had a main event the weekend, an, an actual main event show, not Saturday night's main event, yeah. but an event show right after uh, the Survivor Series. It, it'd have to be in a show like that if you, yeah. if you were going to do it. Um, interesting. Okay, um, so, well, as we know, that didn't come to fruition, but it's interesting to to talk about. Um, so, next uh, item on the, uh, the Meltzers here, it, Lex Luger was fined uh, $1,000 for showing up late to that Omni show that we were talking about last time, Chad, that they were uh, hyping quite a lot. Um, the, White Ch- the White House would not allow TBS to show any footage of George Bush in- introducing Ric Flair at the Jesse Helms fundraiser because it made it look like the president was endorsing Flair. Obviously, that was George Bush Sr. at that time. Um, I'd love to see that footage. <laughs> George Bush Sr. with Ric Flair? Yeah, and the uh, the torch had a little blurb on that also. And it they said that George Bush Sr., uh, actually like requested to sit next to flair and was a big fan so <laughs> that's pretty funny it kind of kind of makes sense i always thought like flair was kind of like a you know a poster boy for reagan era us right yeah well we know ted turner was a huge uh, flair mark so but like you know if you think of the, like the politics of ronald reagan and the character of rick flair it would that's they kind of go hand in hand you know he's kind of like a like a kind of eighties capitalism. That was Flair's deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Stan Hansen um, now was working for WCW and he uh, fractured the skull of a jobber called David Riordan at last week's TV taping, which um, <laughs> uh, I guess is not amusing, but um, I guess fairly typical of Stan Hansen. You know, he's got one of the things I was thinking, Chad, is do you think one of the reasons that Stan Hansen isn't talked up more as a great is because guys in the business saw him as being too too stiff, too rough? 
not safe enough. Um, I mean, I mean, it's he seems to have decent respect in the business, really. So I don't, I don't, but, I don't think it's that. But I mean, he, I, people not, say that he's not. I mean, he's blind, but I've there's not a ton of occasions of him really injuring someone. Not like a Vader situation. Right, but I guess like he wasn't talked up as a greatest of all time type guy. And really, by this point, he should have been, if that makes any sense. I mean, why is that? Is that just because he was off in Japan? or? Yeah, that's because he's off in Japan. I mean, no, I don't think... Uh, well, you're talking about the very early days of tape trading. So it's unlikely that most wrestlers stateside had seen you know, any footage of him in Japan. Right. Okay, well, you can tell us a bit of a slow news week for Meltzer because one of his big bits of news here is that Randy Cully is being brought in to play the part of Mr. X in a gimmick similar to Big Bill Miller's from the early 60s. And uh, Mr. X is going to be working house shows against El Gigante. <laughs> and uh, in fact, he had, I think he had his debut on this show in a dark match against the master, the, the Cuban assassin. And he lost. So there we are. Um, and uh, Cuban assassin, as we found out last time, was El Gigante's trainer. Um, Eddie Gilbert offered to be released from his contract, uh, but Evil Jim Hurd has yet to make a decision. And finally, Sting's house show uh, returns have been drawing poorly. According to Meltzer, this is uh, for two reasons. One, the local promotion for it has been horrible. Uh, he said Detroit and Cincinnati did particularly badly, and Chicago did just about the same as the month before Sting's return. So no discernible pop in the gates. Um, and he said one reason for this is that they blew the angle because Sting was never off TV, so he was overexposed. And it was also like Sting had never been away. Do you agree with that, Chad? Um, I mean, it, I mean, they definitely kept Sting focused on TV. It wasn't like he was gone for four months uh, and then showed up right before Clash 11 or Capital Combat. He was... They'd show him in the doctor's office. They'd uh, show him coming out on crutches. So he certainly uh, was around the TV a lot. Derek, do, do, I mean, what do you think of Meltzer's critique of the booking there? You said you've been showing, watching some of the 1990 footage. Uh, was, was Sting overexposed, do you think? I think you can, just like what we were talking about a little bit ago with Flair uh, not being a draw, you can allude that to what's going on with Brian Danielson now, as you can do the same thing with Sting that you can allude to John Cena. At this point in time, WCW knew that Sting was their most popular guy, and maybe they were fearful because Jim Hurd didn't know what booking was or what <laughs> how to run a wrestling company, that he said, I've got the highest-priced talent, my most popular thing, I have to show it all the time rather than making the people want to see it. Um, that's the only thing I can come up with. And that's the same thing that they do right now with John Cena, with all the video packages. Guess what? He's the money man, and people want to see him, the kids especially, and that's the same thing with Sting. Right. I, I, I do kind of feel that he has been like... they were. It wasn't just on Clash 11. They weren't, wasn't he on uh, Capital Combat as well, with Robocop? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's on Capital Combat, and he's actually on uh, Wrestle War 92. Right, I mean, it, like, you know, 
he's got a point. You know, for his for him coming back to have an in- impact, he has to go away. <laughs> um, I can see that logic. And then July the sixteenth, um, the only real piece of news here, because this is the uh, this is the edition that he's actually got the results and the ratings. Um, and this is a WF guy, but I thought I'd mention it. Brutus Beefcake's career is in jeopardy uh, because of a boating accident he had on the 4th of uh, July in which he uh, suffered numerous head injuries. Um, He'll need more than 10 hours of surgery and he's facing at least 18 months out. Um, I only mention that because I think it's an interesting talking point um, of how big a... First of all, how big a blow do you think this was to the WF at this time? And secondly... How big do you think Brutus Beefcake's career could have been without this injury? Because he seemed to be pretty over at this point. Any thoughts, Chad? Um, I mean, yeah, he was poised to be the uh, IC champion uh, going into SummerSlam at this point. Uh, as far as a blow to WWF overall, I don't think it's a huge blow because I think Brutus was always going to be kind of a mid-card, upper-mid-card type guy, even as IC champion. But uh, but as far as Brutus's career, obviously this was a huge blow because he probably had more mom- momentum uh, going into the summer of 1990 than any point in his career thus far, and uh, it completely got derailed. And after this, you know, as we'll track him as he comes to WCW, he's pretty much a comedy character. God, I can't wait for Brutus to turn up, brother Brutai. Um, Derek, any uh, thoughts on Beefcake's injury here? I, you know, you don't really notice it because they bring in Kerry Von Erich, who, in my opinion, is a better wrestler and a better draw, even with one leg. So, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I've always been a Von Erich fan, and I, you know, to me, back in the day, it was like, oh, okay, here we go, flip him in and out. So, didn't bother me too much. All right, Chad, uh, that's pretty much it from Meltzer. Anything from the torches that wasn't covered there? Uh, yeah, there's actually a good bit of the torch. Uh, torch number 74 uh, gives kind of the clash reviews, and they all receive kind of normal 5 out of 10s on the scale. And then uh, he also talked about how there was a lot of rumors that JYD was going to win the title at uh, Clash 11 to pop the Omni House show, that Omni House show coming up, which I can't see that at all. I mean, can you imagine a situation where they'd have done that? I thought that was strange. I've read that same thing, Chad, um, regarding him and regarding uh, Scott Steiner in a year from now winning the title just as a a quick pop, but who knows. JYD is the NWA world champion in 1990. Absolutely no no chance at all. Maybe, Maybe it was like a brain fart that somebody had, but I can't see that at all. Right. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, also, yeah, I, I can't either. Also, in that issue, he has uh, the Steiner brothers facing Buzz Sawyer and Harley Race at the Great American Bash, which, as we'll see, is uh, will change. And then he does a, a Torch Talk interview with Cactus Jack. And probably the most interesting thing in that little interview was that Cactus said he left WCW because of the comedy elements. And he, he, re, he seemed really down and bitter overall about his run there. Wow. What comedy elements did he talk about? In, in particular, like, I don't recall him being particularly comedic as a character. Do you? 
Uh, well, in the skits, he was kind of when they did them slaughterhouse skits. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah I remember that, now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know if uh, he's got like he was terrible in the in his promos. He, uh, you know, he had ideas above his station as a kind of lower lower card, basic JT, you know, jobber to the stars type guy. Um, yeah. I don't know how much Foley's got to complain about at that point. What do you reckon? I oh, well, yeah. I mean, we've talked about Foley's offense is not very good, and his promos at this point are not very good. So he's essentially a very wild bump man. So I don't, I don't think he should have expected, you know, a real high spot on the card. Here, right? And anything else? Uh, well, that's it on that a. Uh, issue and then torch 75 uh, we had some eddie gilbert speculation like you touched on but uh i'll get to more of that in torch 76 and uh, then keller has a very interesting kind of uh, article on Oli as a booker he argues that the ratings have not been affected by the hill commentators leaving that wcw for the first time since flair versus funk has a firm direction uh, that the racist angle with JYD shows that actually Sting is a better opponent uh, because of how terrible JYD is, and no one will complain about the Clash main events being better than the pay-per-view main events. And then uh, he also say, states that for what they were trying to accomplish with the JYD feud, which was basically a short feud, uh, that it was better to use him than kind of a younger African-American wrestler. And uh, his last argument is that bringing in older guys are kind of known commodities and that it's it's still unknown whether Brian Pillman and Cactus Jack will be stars in the business at that point. He states that gambling is not a common adjective used to describe new bookers. So he really plays devil's advocate for Ole as a booker, and I thought that was kind of interesting, the things he argues there. Was that Keller writing that? or was it? Yes, this was Keller. Wow. Um any any thought? I I don't watching Brian Pillman. He doesn't seem like much of a gamble on him. I mean, yeah, I'd agree with that. You can see the crowd was right right behind him. Um, we, we'll see on the show coming up. Ole Anderson definitely went to some of his old friends at this point. Okay. Uh, God, there's a lot of old guys uh, on this card, but um, I I, I don't know. I uh, that they could have done something better than that JYD angle. I think. Having said that, I do think it worked. Kind of like for just for that one show, it mm-hmm. was. I think they got away with it. Just about. It was horrible, but they kind of got away with it by like looking at the crowd numbers and stuff. And then, um, and then there were a couple of really kind of funny anecdotes on this issue. Well, uh, it's according to what you... Anyway, Harley Race was arrested for a uh, driving while intoxicated on his boat. He apparently crashed his boat into another boat in Missouri, <laughs> which is not very great, not very tactful, <laughs> but kind of humorous. And uh, then he talks about Sid has started missing house shows for softball games. And then uh, Cornette went to the hospital when he thought he was having a heart attack, but it was only intestinal blockage, kind of as a result of his heavy drinking is what Keller speculates. And then the last last little thing is uh, Sting and Luger went on a show called Sonya Live, 
which at first uh, Keller said was Sally Jesse Raphael incorrectly. Uh, so I know who Sally Jesse Raphael is, but I don't know who the Sonya Live was. But anyway, they asked Luger what part of Chicago he's from, and since he's not really from Chicago, that's a kayfabe hometown, he has no idea. So apparently he <laughs> sounds like an idiot and doesn't have nothing to say. <laughs> so I found that amusing. Uh, I'd love to find the footage of that. It must be on YouTube or something. <laughs> I would. I don't know. I've never heard of Sonya live. Derek, I don't know. This is kind of... Sounded like it may be local up in your neck of the woods. Have you ever heard of that show? Uh, I've never heard of Sonya Live. I'm definitely going to start looking for it, though. Yeah, that sounded very amusing. Um, and then, yeah, Torch 76 has the same flair-leaving speculation. He also lumps the Steiners in that. Uh, but Keller then does another kind of interesting analysis on the ramifications of flair-leaving. Uh, he speculates that WWF would book him well and uh, that, you know, WCW could learn from the, him leaving and book up their young stars well. And his sort of speculation, if Flair does leave, would be uh, Scott Steiner versus Sting as the main event of Starcade 1991 and Flair versus Hogan at WrestleMania 7. So I thought that was kind of interesting there. I know which event I'd be going to. <laughs> um yeah it's 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 like i can understand i can understand like being the other side why people would be excited about scott steiner i can kind of understand it but i think it's too much too soon like from my from where i'm from us watching these shows i'm surprised they're not talking about pillman more and uh, and the last thing he did a torch talk with Eddie Gilbert, which was really fascinating. Apparently, it's only one third of it, and I'm um, I'm really interested to read the other two parts. This whole issue was really good by Keller, but uh, in the torch talk, Eddie Gilbert he's very vocal in saying that Oli is unwilling to admit that wrestling has changed, and that he won't even watch the WWF's product because he says there's no in ring wrestling on it. And then uh, he goes into detail about his shoulder injury injury, and gives the timeline of his kind of dispute with Hurd. And then he just dis- uh, discusses Hurd personally and says that while he's currently consumed with the wrestling business, he's not currently qualified to be running a wrestling promotion and that he listens to the wrong people most of the time. Mm-hmm. And he really kind of calls out and has a go at Jim Ross saying that he specifically is kind of kissing up to Hurd all the time. So this was a really kind of interesting and candid interview that Gilbert was giving. You you, you find that a lot. Like, a lot of guys don't like JR backstage. Did you find that, didn't you? Like, uh... Yeah, Gilbert, I think Ross is definitely a politician back there. Yeah, and uh, I I 100% believe that of Ole Anderson, by the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) All right, well, it seems like the torches were better than the observers this time around. Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, that, especially that last torch, I mean, they really packed a lot of stuff in it. And, um, I mean, where Meltzer were getting a lot of news bits with both uh, Keller's, you know, kind of devil's advocate Oli article and his little article on. Uh, on uh, Ric Flair, if he leaves, we're getting some pretty cool kind of analytical work from the torch, and it should only be strengthened as we go along when Bruce Mitchell comes on board. And, well, and speaking of that, Chad, this is a pretty special show for those guys, isn't it? 
Yes, yes. Uh, we I guess we can talk about that now. But uh, Bruce yeah. Mitchell and Wade Keller uh, actually met for the first time at Great American Bash 1990. Uh, he started writing for the Torch shortly after that, and still writes for them to this day. Uh, so that's pretty neat. That you know, uh, what 23 year friendship kind of really blossomed at that show. Uh, so kind of cool antidote for this show. It's time for wrestling's most important network. The Power Hour presents the Wrestling News Network. Now let's go to the Walter Cronkite of Wrestling, Gordon Soley. Well, uh, as I promised, uh, two two shows in a row now, there's been no Gordon Soley update. So get ready for this, Chad, because we're going to go on a Gordon Soley Wrestling News Network marathon. <laughs> Are you ready for this? <laughs> um... I'm going to try to do it as quickly as I can, okay? But there's uh-huh. quite a lot, because I haven't touched it from March the 2nd. <laughs> oh, okay. So we're going to go from March the 2nd all the way to July the 6th, all right? Okay. March the 2nd, um, Gordon Soley uh, just gives us a recap of uh, Wrestle War and a whole long injury list. The only notable thing about this is that he was awkwardly reading from a scrap of paper and seemed to be shaking. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, Gordon is getting a bit old at this point, I I must know. Oh, yeah. Um, March 9th, update on Sting's injury. Um, He foresees Chicago street fights ahead of Doom and the Road Warriors. Um, He calls Lugas the people's champion and uh, talks about the nine count, says Ric Flair's got serious problems, and he shields a medal lance card. March 16th, uh, more on Arn Anderson's injury. Uh, Brian Pillman was injured by the Midnight Express. We get a little clip of it. Sting is still receiving, quote, thousands and thousands of letters wishing him a recovery. Uh, Luger is the man of the future, the man of the 90s. Tommy Young, this was really interesting, I thought. Tommy Young is still receiving surgery, but he's still the head ref of the NWA, and he could be coming back soon. That, that, no, that's interesting, don't you think? Yeah, uh, in- incorrect on Gordon's part. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that was probably just to keep his name out there. He's not coming back, is he? Tommy Young's done now, right? Um, Mean Mark uh, was representing the NWA in Japan uh, at this time, so he went out on a tour. March 23rd, Sting is still improving uh, uh, day by day, but he's still months from the ring. So you can see that like every single week they're talking about Sting's injury. Um, Arn is training six hours a day. Uh, Ole Anderson wants revenge and has challenged the Steiners to an I Quit match. But he also wants the NWA to sanction a stretcher match. Uh, Norman, uh, the lunatic, has a new friend. Uh, the w- doesn't tell us who it is. The Wild Samoans are now without a manager. And Mean Mark is still undefeated in Japan. March 30th. <laughs> uh, Luger is getting closer to beating Ric Flair. Sting is, is, <laughs> Sting is up and riding on a stationary bi- bicycle. Mean Mark has learned a new hold in Japan and has left Japan now, rated number one in all of Japan. (laughs) Uh, Norman has a black box, but what's in it? His ally, perhaps? Uh, And on a personal note, um, Ole Anderson, what sort of a man is he? And according to uh, Gordon Soley, he says, he's a man with a sick mentality, in my opinion. Uh, April the 6th, uh, Sting is making a remarkable recovery, but has been threatened by Ole Anderson. Luger is still challenging Ric Flair, but he's totally frustrated by the still elusive world title. 
Doom won a world title shot against the Steiner brothers, but lots of other tag teams are in the world title picture too. And Norman's new ally is Captain Mike Rotunda. <laughs> April the 13th, um, steel cage match announced. Flair versus Luger. Terry Funk is to be the special guest ref. Did that happen? Was he the special guest ref? No. No. Uh, I guess. Well, I mean, I, don't, I mean, I any of the shows we saw, he wasn't. He was. I, I, I don't know if he did at some house shows. No, this was the cage match for Capital Combat. Oh yeah, no, he was not. No, this no. must have been like just before he was him and uh, Crispy Cruz were fired slash walked. He walked out, right, Funk? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Torch actually had a little bit on him uh, returning to wrestling. So Hulk Hogan dropped his belt to Ultimate Warrior. Can you believe he, he... I don't know why, but he mentioned that. That's, that's the only bit of uh, WF news that he's given us for, for weeks and weeks now. Yeah. Uh, mean Mark is back from Japan and has a new secret weapon. Uh, we have a special announcement from Sting coming soon. And Doom and the Road Warriors are still feuding. Uh, meanwhile, Doom want the belts. April 27th, um, Sting will have Robocop as backup at Capital Combat. And speculation as to what sort of ref Terry Funk will be. He says he's a proud man from a wrestling dynasty. Uh, Dory Funk Jr. was MW champ, uh, NWA champ, as was he. And uh, his personal opinion is that Funk will be tough but fair-minded. May the 4th. Uh, Sting will be at Capital Combat with Robocop. We also get a Sting promo. Um, and he says that the NWA board of directors is studiously looking at Mark, uh, mean Mark Callis' heart punch. Um, he says the move was made famous by Stan Stasiak years ago, uh, but Mean Mark has perfected the uh, maneuver in Japan, uh, but it may be outlawed by the NWA uh, as they decide on whether it's uh, whether it's too dangerous or not. And this was probably the most interesting thing in all of these all of these different um, uh, updates from Soli. He says people have been writing into him and asking about former champions. Uh, and he says that he had lunch the other day with Charlie Lay, the former world light heavyweight champion. He and his wife, Iris, are now comfortably retired in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, Robert Fuller is uh, also currently competing in the Florida area. Now, Charlie Lay, who who on earth was that? So obviously I started doing searches on him and he is an incredibly obscure guy. This is one for the uh, for the Kelly Nelson files, Chad. Uh, he, I found some old cards from Louisville, Kentucky, with uh, Charlie Lay wrestling in the 1940s. Uh, there's a card from Corpus Christi in 1953. Uh, there's absolutely no trace of him at all being world light heavyweight champion. Like, I've looked at the record books, and Charlie Lay is not a former <laughs> champ at all. Um, there's a guy on Wrestling Classics message board back in 2006 who remembers that um, there was a mysterious Mid-South uh, Board of Governors who never appeared on camera. And apparently the president of this Mid-South Board of Governors was none other than Charlie Lay. Uh, mm. And then another guy on Kayfabe Memories in 2010 mentioned um, that Charlie Lay was the president of the Mid-South Board of Governors. And that is literally all I could find on this guy at all. So this is a pretty obscure guy that Soli is mentioning here. Yeah. Um, I mean... How many fans do you think were noting, you know, Charlie Lay? <laughs> yeah, very minimal. I mean, I'd never heard of him. So. Yeah. Um, uh, then uh, May the 11th, uh, there's a show for Capital Combat. 
I did say this was going to be a marathon, folks. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I will try to do solely more regularly after this. <laughs> Barry Windham has joined the Four Horsemen and Ole is announcing another new member soon. Tonight, um, and this was interesting, he said, Tonight is going to be my last night on the Power Hour. He's going to be replaced by Paulie Dangerously. Uh, Soli says it's been a pleasure to work with Jim Ross, uh, and he's going to be doing some special assignments and wrestling wrap-ups soon, uh, which he's really looking forward to. And uh, I've just written here that his face told a different story. <laughs> um, I mean, Soli's role is being replaced. It, 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 he's literally being replaced as a commentator now, and now he's... I mean, they're basically saying, your job now, Gordon, is to follow Robocop around. Um, uh you, you said you saw the Power Hours at this time. Um, Derek, was uh, Paul Lee the commentator? Um, I don't believe so. I'd have to I'd have to go back and look. But it, it didn't didn't Ole Anderson then immediately replace Paul Lee as well, Chad? Is that yeah? What they said? He wasn't there for long, and yeah. then uh, and then the heel commentators came off. So uh, the Southern Boys are newcomers to the promotion. Uh, look forward to seeing them in action soon. Um, he's going to be on the 900 line uh, alongside Lance Russell on Capital Combat. Uh, June the 8th, Capital Combat is hours away. Shill, 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 shill. Um, he's really looking forward to working with his old colleague, Lance Russell. Uh, Luger says that if he doesn't win at Capital Combat, he'll never again ask for a world title match. Do we believe him? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> June the 15th, woman has been suspended. Um, interesting that they mentioned uh, on our explanation for her disappearance and uh, Evil Jim Hurd is investigating Ole Anderson's actions as well uh, JYD um, has come in to the promotion to take on the Horseman and he, JYD that is Sting, Paul Orndorff and Lex Luger have formed an alliance called, wait for it the Superheroes <laughs> um, probably never mentioned again, they're the dudes with attitude right? Yeah, that was short-lived, and then uh, they became the dudes with attitude. So they were called the superheroes for like a week or two? I, I, I want to think they were at some point on TV, but it was dudes with attitude very quickly. I, I also don't think Lex Luger is a dude with attitude. He's not a member of that group, I don't think. He seems to be affiliated, but not an official member to me. I don't even think, though, this goes back to what I was talking about the Clash. I don't think they really officially said, like, here is your official dudes with attitude. Because as we'll talk about it this show, the Steiners came out with them, and I mean, I don't know if they were official members but, either. My impression is that the dudes are Sting, Paul Orndorff, JYD, and Al Giante. <laughs> the world stable ever. Um, all right, we'll we'll discuss that later. June the twenty second. Um, a look at what happened at uh, Clash Eleven now with uh, JYD and Flair. Um, and Gordon Soley's really grave. He really thinks that something needs to be done about the horseman running in now. He's had enough of it. Um, June the 29th, he thanks everyone for all the letters about his comments about the horseman last week. So <laughs> uh, Soley's uh, comments apparently got a lot of people writing in. Um, and Soley's so uh, he's adamant about this that he personally is going to be meeting with Jim Hurd and the NWA board of directors soon to see what can be done about the horseman. <laughs> I love the idea of uh, Soli having like backstage pull here uh, to have something done about the Horseman. Um, and we get a recap of Luger versus Sid. And finally, it's July the 6th. The Great American Bash uh, is coming, so we get a lot of shilling. Uh, the crux of it is the world title match between Flair and Sting. 
and we get this trailer for the bash uh, featuring American patriots, the forefathers called upon when belligerent oppression can no longer be tolerated, flared the imperious monarch of wrestling. Um, so this is all weird. Like, is Flair representing the British here in some weird way? And sting the Americans? Yeah, the, the snotty British aristocrats that thought they owned everything. I think that's appropriate. You, th- you think that's appropriate to cast yeah. Flair as a... Uh, hmm, the uh, heel. The British heels. The British heels. Uh, um, and then Jim, <laughs> Jim Hurd is under pressure, um, says uh, Gordon Soley, but the consensus of opinion is that, Flair, uh, is that Hurd has to come out with a fair and equitable way to ensure that the horsemen don't interfere in this upcoming match. Are you glad that I did that, Chad? Well, I mean, I guess we can see now that Sully's for, I mean, you know, any sense of uh, being uh, impartial on biased news has turned into the WCW Shield section, you know. It's it's all WCW Universe kayfabe now. Yeah, I mean, he's really kind of had his balls cut off, I guess, since he started those sections like we're no longer getting news from memphis or like there was one little mention of warrior and hogan in there but uh it they're a far cry from the 89 glory days right right (laughs) this is what we came to see this is the young man that people say will dominate the 90s against the man that has dominated the 80s the nature boy without further ado uh let's get on to the great american bash 90 11 matches, four championships, Jim Ross and uh, Bob Coddle are the hosts once again. And uh, straight into the first match here, um, Buddy Landell taking on Flying Brian. Um, and uh, <laughs> my only note going into this is that Jim Ross mentioned that Buddy Landell has a PhD in shortcuts. Um, Derek, what did you make of this match? Uh, the first one with Coleman, I, I thought that if you needed a prototype for an opening card guy at this point in wrestling, Brian Pillman is it. Much like Owen Hart becomes an opening kind of guy in three or four years, Brian Pillman, in my opinion, was great. He opened uh, the year before against Bill Irwin. He's always just a solid guy. You're always going to hear about his throat cancer and playing for the Bengals and Everything he's just he's just great and he brings it in the ring. The fans love him. Um, I thought it was great having him there. The match itself, not so much. But Buddy Landell by this point has overstayed his welcome in the sport, in my opinion. Well, Chad, this is the first time we're seeing Landell for some time. In fact, ever is it? Uh, he was at Starcade '85. I know for sure. Um, I don't. I can't think right offhand if he's been in another. Uh, match since then, but he's at Starcade '85 facing Terry Taylor. Uh, well, and what, what did you uh, what did you make of him at this point? Well, yeah, I mean you're not getting. Uh, he he was kind of thirty percent blow away diet Buddy Rose shape here. He was he was not in uh, I would say pristine conditioning shape. Uh, but but I, I I like this opener a lot. I don't think it's anything that's going to be. Uh, you know, if you want to do a match of the year list or, you know, anything like that. But as far as uh, almost 10 minute opener to get the crowd up and going, uh, Pillman was very good selling. Landell, 
I mean, he didn't really have, I'd say, a focused attack, but he had some pretty interesting stuff mixing in his chops. Uh, he was scraping, kind of did a lot of boot scrapes, had that kind of weird funky moonwalk at one time. And uh, and then, you know, he was able to feed into uh, Pillman's comeback, and Pillman was able to get a nice high crossbody for the victory to, you know, get the fans up and going to start off. So I, I like this a pretty good deal. Hmm. Uh, I uh, I think I'm with Derek here uh, on Landell. I didn't think he was very good here, and uh, I thought his offense was slow and boring. He looked a little bit lost to me at times out there. Um, I didn't think it was a very good outing for him in this uh, little run. Uh, Meltzer went with two and three quarters here. He really thought he said it's a good television opener. Do you go along with that, Chad? Do yeah, that's that's about where I would be. Um, I, I like this match a good bit, actually. Wow. Uh, Derek, would you go that high? Uh, I I like that. I like it for a live crowd. I wouldn't have put it on TV like it wasn't. I guess it was on the original pay per view, but when you look at the the video of it, I don't I don't believe it's on there. No. Well, the, the the Turner release, you mean? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I would go much lower than that on this. I didn't think it was very good at all. Um, so one thing, uh, I mean, Landell has a couple of. Uh, actually, he has a match that I think we may do when we do our TV uh, stuff. Parf, he has a match versus Ric Flair. So you finally get the battle of the uh, Nature Boys. He has that match in 1990, and then I've seen a couple other matches from him in 1990. His, I mean, he's not been, uh, I don't think he's great in 1990, but I don't think he's uh, awful either. I, th- I thought he was okay here, but. Okay, well, I've never really, like, seen, like, people, Landell's one of, was one of those workers who people say, oh, yeah, he was really good and stuff, but I've seen quite a bit of Landell, and he's one of those guys I'm yet to be really convinced by. I also don't understand his gimmick, as I've told you many times. Like, why would you ever, you know, there's already a nature boy, so why would you ever pick that as your gimmick? <laughs> yeah, just, I agree with that. That's just stupid. Um, there's a pointless little segment now with Gordon Soley, um, and then, what the hell, Iron Sheik is back. <laughs> what the fuck? Iron Sheik back again. Uh, and he's taking on... Uh, one of my favorites, of course, Captain Mike Watunda. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I'll tell you one thing. Going into this match, Jim Ross claims that Sheik was a silver med- medalist in the Mexico Olympics. That is not true. I didn't think so. <laughs> he, he, he didn't make it to the Olympics. He he had some qualifiers, but he didn't make it. His, <laughs> his, his medal is from, like, some Commonwealth Games or something. I don't know. Um, anyway... Uh, my only other thing is that, did you notice at one point a woman offered like an ice cream or something to Sheik as he was walking past? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, well, he doesn't, it's the last thing he needs is another ice cream. But um, <laughs> what did you make of uh, the, the return of Iron Sheik here? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, Sheik's stomach, he's still hanging on to these tights, but <laughs> Sheik's uh, gut is out of control here. Uh, he looks very old. This is a rehash of uh, half of the WrestleMania 1 tag team match, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, pr- probably the most interesting thing in this match. I mean, she used all his stalling techniques, 
wanders around the ring, kind of bows down to Rotunda, uh, gets him in an abdominal stretch. He, he actually did kind of a back suplex, which I guess I was surprised to see. Mm. But, uh, but I mean, Sheik is just the sweats pouring down his face for this uh, six-minute match. And, uh, you know, deservably so, Rotunda's able to pick up the victory at the end. But I, I don't think this had any place on the uh, pay-per-view. Derek? I completely agree, other than the fact that the Iron Sheik's tights were really swank. Um, they looked awesome. I believe it's like a peach pinkish. Um, so that was sweet. But other than that, nothing else too exciting going on here. Um, one guy's going to have a pretty good future. The other one had a pretty decent past. At this point in time, they didn't have too much going on. So you think IRS is a decent feature? Yeah, I, I think I think that is. I, I I mean, what is he most known for um, in his career? And, you know, him and DiBiase, they really did some fun work there. And, uh, you know, if you face Hogan at WrestleMania, you got to be doing something right. So I believe he's got he's got a better future ahead of him. Well, you're preaching to the choir. Oh, yeah. for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> preaching to the choir, my friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I, actually, I think I'm the high vote on this match. I think... Oh, come on, Carl. <laughs> this is so bad. <laughs> we got a gut wrench suplex. We got a belly-to-back suplex. I mean, what... um, Ross mentioned at one point that uh, Cheek, at one... in the younger part of his career, was a master of the suplex. And then he busted out a belly-to-back suplex. Um, I did think that Sheik's like, weird praying motion... Mm-hmm. Was... I, I haven't seen him do that before. Like, all for a long time. That was strange. Um, Sheik was very dominant in this match. It's like Rotunda couldn't get anything going in the six minutes that they were there. Um, Sheik uh, had another vertical. Three different suplex variations in six minutes. Um, you know, what more can you... I mean, Meltzer says here, what more can you expect from him um, at this point? That's probably as good as we're going to get from Sheik. It was all right. It was possible. No, I, no, I don't think he was passable. I mean, he was. I, I mean, I don't think he should have been employed in 1990. So if if you go on the crux that he is employed, this is probably for 1990 Iron Sheik a decent performance. But I think this uh, seven minutes could certainly have been better used elsewhere throughout this card. Well, let's look at Meltzer's rating, and I think he's got a really good little review here. He says. Sheik looks like his water is about to break. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, the match wasn't nearly as bad as it sounds, but it isn't like anyone wanted to see it. Sheik did several different suplexes and did about uh, all you could expect of him. Three quarters of a star. Okay. That sounds like a higher review than I thought it was going to be. So, I mean, that's about where I would be. So, uh, Derek? About uh, there? Yeah. That. You're not going to get too much. Like I said, these guys, that was perfect for Malter, in my opinion. <laughs> Star and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so, Gordon Soley is with, uh, my God, seven-time world champion, Harley Race, who looks like he's jumped straight out of the 1970s. Um, what was he wearing? What did he look like? Um, Race says he's going to take care of Tommy Rich uh, his own way. He predicts that Flair will get beat tonight if Flair is not on his toes. He knows Tommy Rich is a beaten man. 
and races uh, uh, one. I I think the race is one person who looks better with a moustache. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, this was actually a pretty spirited promo for Ray's. It almost seemed like he was going into business for himself, calling out Flair. Uh, I thought that was kind of odd. I don't know if he just wanted to, like, mention the main event or what, or kind of prolong their feud from seven years ago. But uh, it was very, it was very uh, unique and kind of weird promo from him. Well, the, the thing is, is that throughout the night, they do these promos with Gordon Soley, and everybody alludes to the Flair-Sting match. Yeah. Yeah, you do have a lot of buildup of the main event from the uh, other competitors. Yeah, I, I thought it was quite a neat way of making Race seem a little like making himself seem a little bit relevant to what was going on. Um, even even if he didn't look it, I mean, he did look like he was picked right out of the seventies. Um, even though he's obviously aged quite a bit since then. Right. More on uh, Race later. Um, but for right now, so so far, okay. Look at these names: Buddy Landell, Iron Sheik, and now. Dutch Mantel. Where is Ole getting these guys? I mean, he's, <laughs> this is like the 1980 reunion club, right? Um, uh, he's announced from Oil Trough, uh, Texas, which is always one of the weirder towns. Uh, I picked up on it when I was watching the Memphis 1980 stuff. And, Co- and Coddle picks up on it here. He says, where in the world is that? Oil Trough, Texas? Uh, is that a legit town? Yeah, it uh, is. I, I looked it up. Um, if, uh, if truth or consequences is the coolest town in the world oil trough has got to be one of the least cool called <laughs> oil trough um uh, now in 1980 in memphis i thought dutch mantel looked really good um he seems a lot smaller here than he was then he had kind of more like a buzz sawyer kind of build in 1980 whereas here he seems to have trimmed down quite a bit but one thing that he still does have is a disgustingly hairy back <laughs> Now, if if I was a worker, I would refuse to work with Dutch Mantel. There is no way I am working with him. Well, this sounds like uh, there's been some discussion in MMA recently, part where people want uh, their opponent to shave their beard. Oh, really? They say the beard is too long and gives an unfair advantage. Uh, so, so I guess you, if you were a, a wrestler. Dutch's back would be off limits. You'd uh, well, M- petition Mant- the commission that he'd have to shave his back. Mantel had a very long beard here as well. Um, yes, but like I wouldn't. I like. Can you imagine William Regan, William Regal taking on uh, Mantel? The faces he would be pulling. <laughs> I, 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 I'd be, I'd be pulling those same faces. <laughs> so um, yeah, did did uh, do you think Ole Anderson knew it was 1990 at this point? Like, what the hell is he doing? Yeah. He's certainly bringing back some of his uh, old comrades from years past by. I I think Sheik, though, is the most egregious out of all of them. I know you're kind of a Sheik mark, but (laughs) Dutch, I actually thought, I'll I'll get into this uh, match here. I thought Dutch actually possibly didn't look too out of place, and I agree that he was kind of slimmed down. But he still looked kind of young, you know, youngish and fresh, and could have been utilized more, I think, than what he was here. And I thought uh, Furnace looked better here than in the Clash match to me. He was less, uh, less sloppy in this match, and it it goes probably a little bit too long and kind of meanders around. 
but uh, I thought this was fairly decent action overall, and uh, had a had a you know fairly good finish with Furnace picking up a good win on kind of a power slam type move. So, yeah, the, on commentary, uh, I noticed that Jim Ross said that uh, Furnace has got twenty seven records. I thought it was thirty last time. He's uh, lost a few records. Uh, Dino Bravo's beating him out for three of the records. Uh, Derek, what did you think of this? Well, you know, I'm going to give Ole Anderson some credit because what he's doing here is what we wouldn't mind seeing nowadays is he's bringing in guys that aren't going to be needed to go over per se, but they're not necessarily full-on jobbers. So with the Buddy Landells and the Dutch Mantells, and guys in the Iron Sheik even, they have name credibility so they can come in and they can put over your other talent. And I believe that's what the purpose of this was. Because you look, I'm guessing they had plans for Furnace, they had plans for Rotundo, and they had plans for Pillman. And this is an opportunity for those guys to have a good match, get over with the crowd. And that's something that is missing in today's product when we talk about how each week we're going to see two top guys facing each other compared to a top guy facing a mid guy in order to get over more with the crowd. But any, any reaction to that, Chad? Do you think that's a good idea? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's kind of what they do now with, uh, with Chris Jericho. I mean, he, he's kind of in that same role. He's a little bit further up the card, but, uh, he's mainly used in many ways as like a person used to get someone over like what he did with Fondango at uh, WrestleMania this year. Okay. I, I completely agree. I would, I wouldn't mind seeing them do it more though. I'm talking those guys, um, you know, like a Val Venus or like a Chris masters, um, Shelton Benjamin, even, uh, these guys that have name value a little still that'll come in and, Put on good matches just so our guys can, or you know, the guys coming up can get some practice with it. Um, I think yeah. it would be so beneficial for the product to have some of those matches here and there, rather than always trying to cram down this pay-per-view quality match week in and week out for three hours of Raw. Yeah, and the other thing is, of course, is that some of those guys could learn a thing or two from, you know, the, some some of the older pros. Um, right. <clears throat> uh, we're talking like a kind of Greg Valentine type role, like eighty nine, ninety Greg Valentine, right? That's the kind of role he had. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <clears throat> well, even uh, the guy we're going to talk about next, Tommy Rich, kind of has that same type of role too. Yeah. Uh, throughout this era. So, um, Derek, did we did we get your thoughts on the match here? Did you? Did, what oh. did you think? Nothing too, nothing too special. Furnace looks like a million bucks. I mean, he looks great, and I think that what they were doing was the right thing. Let's slowly build this guy up and figure out where we can put him. It's interesting to watch the WCW compared to the WWE at this time and see what the gimmicks were compared to the regular guys. We, let's go up and down the list today. There's not too many big gimmick wrestlers on this card compared to the 1990 um, SummerSlam card where it's gimmick, gimmick, gimmick. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that says a lot to what they were trying to do. Yeah, well, I mean, this was really the time where every character uh, under Vince's command would have a, 
pa- would have a package, right? A, 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 you know, a character. Um, they'd be brought in with a series of skits. Like he, he had a formula down by this point, I think. Absolutely. And and here in the WCW, they weren't doing that. I mean, Brian Pillman, Mike Rotondo, Doug Furness, these are the guys they're looking at in the future. Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. Um, even the Southern boys, you can say they kind of had a gimmick to them, but they weren't completely crazy with the gimmick. You know what I mean? Vader yeah. is a gimmick, but... Well, I mean, <laughs> Rotundo was meant to be a captain of some sort, but... Well, he was he was from Syracuse. I mean, you go back to your varsity club days at that point, um, where they've always kind of played off that role with him. Yeah, I think I may be a little bit lower on this match than you guys. Um, I thought we had some needless flash from uh, Furnace in this match. But that flash did tell a story. It basically said that he's young and inexperienced and fiery, and he's prone to showing off a bit. Would you agree with that, Chad? That he did some really showing off type stuff. That was designed. Yeah. That was designed. Uh, to... Go ahead. Sorry. The the the, the inex... It was designed to show off his inexperience more than anything else, though. Yeah, I did like how kind of of. Uh... Mantel would kind of cut him off sometimes if he would showboat a little bit too much. And uh, that sort of played into a little bit of a uh, a tag match coming up that kind of had the same mini story within it. Uh, I noticed Jim Ross busted out his Mickey Mantel line again. He loves that. Uh, Mickey, <laughs> Mickey, Man- Mickey Mantle, the second most famous athlete from Oklahoma. It, Doug, F- Doug F- uh, Finesse will always be the second most famous athlete from Oklahoma because of Mickey Mantle. I think it's the town in Oklahoma, not necessarily the state, um, because I believe they were both born in the same town in Oklahoma. Oh, right. Okay. Mm, okay. <clears throat> Let's yeah. say that seems like a pretty big stretch to think at this point, Furnace was the number two athlete in period in Oklahoma. But Wasn't uh, Steve Williams from Oklahoma? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I noticed that, uh, Mantel's, uh, arm work, uh, Dutch Man- Mantel, no, not Mickey Mantel, uh, Dutch Mantel's, uh, arm work got a few boring chants. Um, do you notice that? Yeah, this is a very interesting crowd overall, uh, that I'm sure we'll talk about as we get into more of the later matches. And I do want to say, I, I'm sorry, I, uh. I misspoke. I thought Furnace did get the uh, power slam to win, but uh, it's actually kind of like a belly-to-belly suplex yeah, that he pins him with here. It was a belly-to-belly, you know. I should add, those, some of those boring chants were coming from me. Uh, <laughs> um, I thought this was in the back doing it, too. <laughs> I thought this was a pretty awkward match, actually. There was really no chemistry between these two. Um, there was a horrible moment where Mantel just stopped and waited for Furnace. Uh, near the finish, he just stopped and waited um, for Furnas to come over and grab him. It was awful. Um, so I thought this was actively bad in my view. And, um, well, Meltzer went a star and a half. That's too high. Uh, I'd probably be about right around there. Probably star and a half for me. I, I'd go like half a star. If I so I can, but I just don't understand. So you like the sheet match. Yeah. 
There was, I mean, the cheek match was six minutes. We got three different suplexes. Well, we had a belly to belly here and a nice drop kick and some other suplexes. But, but there was real awkwardness here. Whereas, I mean, at least Rotunda and Sheik were reasonably smooth. I mean, like, okay, fair enough, Sheik was blown up. Um, and But there was nothing was botched, really. Nothing was missed badly timed. They They hit their spots. A woman offered him an ice cream. I mean, what more do you want? Where is it? A lot more. A lot. More. <laughs> but in it, in this match, that like there was really moments of awkwardness. I thought yeah. um, that 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 bit where um, uh, Furness did his flippy thing over the thing and like he landed on his feet and then like I mean that that wouldn't have got a very good if he was doing that in gymnastics. He would have got a low low grade from the judges. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I'd like to see Sheik attempt to do that for starters. Well, he knows his limitations. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's get let's get on. Uh, so, uh, all right, not a lot of consensus between us on this show so far. <laughs> um, now, one of the more interesting matches that we'll ever see: Harley Race in 1990, wearing his crown, his <laughs> King Harley. Crown trunks, oh dear. Um, and this is talked up as two great former champions, uh, the seven-time uh, world champion Harley Race and the two-week 1981 champion Tommy Rich. Um, and it is mentioned that Rich has lost 28 pounds since coming back to WCW, and he is looking pretty trim. Yeah, yeah, he looks better. So, well, I guess uh, Derek, I'll go to you first. Um, I think it's interesting that later on in the, in the show, Jim Ross alludes to title changes at the beginning of a decade, and he alludes to the infamous match in which um, the NWA screws Harley Race out of the title and gives it to Tommy Rich for um, his little half a cup of coffee, if you will. And obviously, uh, this is the first time that we've seen a heel go over Um I love race. I do think he looks amazing in a mustache. I'll admit that. Um, but uh, for the most part, this is, again, a pretty basic match. I don't see the point in this one as much as I saw the point in the previous matches, unless it's to get Harley Race back in the good graces of the NWA. So not too much. Um, again, not too high of a rated match for me. Probably why I didn't make the uh, the VHS, but it, it's... It serves its purpose if there is one, and hopefully that's to put Harley Race over. Chad, yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a pretty big fan of this match actually. Uh, kind of, I, I mean, the way they sold it was as a legends type match, and for those type of matches, that's just a match you don't see at all in, uh, in current, in the uh, you know current product. They'll quote-unquote legends or main eventing and winning titles and involved in the main event feuds as we as we speak so for these kind of two guys to say you know yeah they're a little bit over the hill but they're gonna come out here and really like throw bombs at each other for seven minutes and harley had a lot of viciousness there was bumps on the floor kind of suplexes and some hard stiff shots. So this was kind of the first one of these that WCW ran. And, uh, and then we got a, a few more with the, uh, Slamboree legends reunion shows coming up, but they did a lot of stuff, like a couple of tumbles to the floor where both of them went out at the same time. And, uh, and then, you know, Harley's able to reverse 
the uh, high cross body from Rich off the top. He reverses the pinfall and uh, gets the victory and really has the leg hook nicely. And Jim Ross actually calls it an upset. Uh, so I, I really like this match actually a lot. And, and Chad, if you liked it a lot, I absolutely loved it. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, first of all, Har- look, look at Harley Race in 1990, right? He, he's had his injury that he's come back from. You know, Hogan injured him on that Saturday Night's Main Event show. And pretty much Harley Race was done from that point. He's coming in for this random show in 1990. He's very close to totally retiring, hanging up his boots. Um, Tommy Rich has been in this kind of weird, you know, Greg Valentine sort of role for most of 1990. And then, like, they start off at 100 miles an hour. Race just goes straight in. He hits a suplex, uh, a pile driver, suplex out on the ramp. He takes a massive bump to the outside uh, uh, off a clothesline. Uh, he hits his head on the apron on his way out. Uh, we get a suplex back in from Rich. Um, uh, then a belly-to-belly suplex by Race, a swinging neck breaker. Uh, awesome. Come on, seven minutes from these two. 100 miles an hour. Like, this is an awesome match. Just I t- guess it really comes down to your point of view on the match and how you look at wrestling. And I'm a very, um, what is the purpose compared to here and now? Like, oh, this is a great match. Let's watch it. I guess I'm looking at it like, what's going to happen out of this? And I just didn't see too much happening out of the match. Now, the action is very good. There's no doubt about that, especially for guys that are beyond their primes. But um you can't really shit too much on a Harley race match. But again, my point of view is definitely different than yours. Um, I just didn't see what the, what's going to happen after this match tomorrow, I guess. Well, one of the things I'll say is that I think the Harley race may be, how can I put this? One of the best, like match in a vacuum style workers. Um, he's got that great match, um, against Rick Martel, Chad, that I really like as well from AWA. Know yeah. that one? Yeah, and, that's a super clash too. Yeah, and again, that's just a match in a vacuum. It's going nowhere. Race is just—it's a one-night show, um, and I just think that Race is a great worker for that sort of occasion. This—this this wasn't working an angle. It wasn't going to go anywhere. It's just one match to pop a crowd on one show, um, and I thought for that it was awesome. I do—I do understand the point that booking-wise, it's not doing anything, but. Uh, I'm a big fan of this. Um, Meltzer gives it two and a quarter. Very stingy in my book. What, <laughs> what do you say, Chad? Uh, and quick correction, I get the super clashes mixed up. It's Wrestle Rock '86. It's the one in the Metrodome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the match versus Martel. But uh, when I watched this match uh, with my 1990 watching footage, I had it ranked at 2.75 stars. And it was the 172nd ranked <laughs> match in 1990, if you're interested in that sort of thing. Uh, and I'd, I'd be right around there, too. Uh, maybe I, You might could convince me to bump it up to three, because I enjoyed it a good bit. And actually, Race has a match with Larry Sabisco, kind of the last AWA match, uh, really, of any relevance. It's from August 27th. And uh, that match is pretty good, too. Like, I had that match ranked at three stars for the year. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of these two, you know, really the two last uh, Harley races matches of any note for a uh, legendary Hall of Fame career. 
to, to Derek, I'm guessing you're lower than say say if Chad was about three stars, you'd go lower than that. Yeah, I'd probably go with maybe two and two two and a quarter. Um, <laughs> simply because of the story aspect to it. That's what makes me a fan. Man, you guys are nuts. I'm gonna go much higher. <laughs> three and a half, say, something like that. I really thought it was awesome. It's one of my favourite like just for a match in a vacuum and like quality versus expectation. It, it, this was really good, I thought. So there we go. I'm prepared to um, be the be the ridiculously high vote on that. Uh, Gordon Soley now is with Paulie Dangerously um, and Mark Callis. Paulie cuts a very shouty, ranty promo. Uh, not much to say about that. Yeah, none of these. I, I guess we can say like they throw to Gordon after every match for a quick kind of one two minute promo and this is gordon's role and none of them are backstage they're kind of off to the ramp and uh i didn't think any of them were really particularly good uh so not a good night the wwf thing there the way that gene Oakland used to do it um compared to how they would do it backstage where he'd be up on that little rampway um like they did it uh even at SummerSlam 1990 when uh dibiase was um talking shit to Dusty Rhodes, uh, they kind of took that same thing there. <laughs> oh, man. I love that angle. Why does he Why does he buy Sapphire? There's just no need. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, this was not a good show for promos. Um, so, speaking of uh, good matches now, Southern Boys taking on the Midnight Express. And, uh, well, Chad, I'll, I'll, I'll throw to you because I'm interested to see what you have to say here. Yeah, well, this is one of the uh, one of the I guess if you know your WCW history, if you know your kind of pay per view WCW stuff, you're you're aware of this match uh, and its reputation, and deservedly so because when you want to talk about kind of Southern heel uh, wrestling type matches, I think this is one of the ones you can point to as the apex of the style where you have uh, a very unique and good structure, uh, a really kind of fun finish with the hills going over at the end, and then just a lot of great stuff kind of consumed within the match where the kung fu sequence between Lane and Tracy Smothers, which I absolutely adore. Uh, In fact, the whole kind of face in peril section is very good with the typical really good midnight stuff with them kind of just being a, an excellent tag team where one would get in trouble and the other one would pick, uh, their partner up and cut off, uh, the Southern boys unable to make the tag. So this is, I think one of the, uh, really the greatest tag matches we've seen in doing all these shows part of it. it's one of my favorite matches. And to me, it's a match that, gets better kind of every time i know i like this was a match i didn't watch until i'd started you know into tape trading and was part of the iwc or whatever and when i watched it the first time i was like yeah that was very good but i you know i don't know i mean some people would call this like one of the best wcw matches of the 90s or of all time and i was like i'm not willing to go that far and then when I watched it with my 1990 footage, I was, you know, ready to go all in on the match. 
And uh, at that point in time, I went, you know, about four and a half stars on it and was and I think even this time I was actually even a little bit higher like this. Probably I'm only can think of maybe two or three tags that we've seen par that I would put ahead of this one and all the shows we've done. Um, I'm trying to think of what they could be. Russians versus rock and rolls. Russians versus rock and rolls. I'd probably have ahead of this one, and then the Clash One tag match. I go to that all the time. Yeah. Uh, but that that one's probably right at you know parallel with this one. And then I also have the Wrestle War '90 match uh, that I really adore. I have that one you know fairly close to this too. I I really like Arn and Oliver taking on rock and rolls as well. Uh, that's a that's a much that's a ten minute ten twelve minute match. Uh, um, Derek, uh, are you as high as that? It sounded like about three and three quarters from Chad. Yeah, I I'd probably go three and a, three and a quarter. Um, and to me, my favorite tag team matches, uh, my one of my favorite is or my three favorite are coming up. Net, uh, two of them at Halloween Havoc, and then one of them at Starcade. Um, previous to that, though, I love the Skyscrapers versus Road Warriors at Halloween Havoc 89. Um, I thought that was a great match. It was just really fun. There wasn't, there was no resolution to it. I just loved it. Um, but for this one, um, these guys go at a fanatical pace. And the, the funniest moment, I think, is when Cornette, I believe, is yelling something about martial arts, in which Stan Lane always used it, um, and I believe Tracy Smothers was just kicking the shit out of Bobby Eaton's head. It was just hilarious. It was one of those little things that that Cornette could do that gave them heat. And um, I love the pace. I I enjoyed the finish. I I liked everything about it. I'd say three three um, three and a quarter to three and a half um, with everything about it. Was that three or four? Because I think for, uh, Chad is almost five stars on this. He's four and three oh, quarters. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if I can go that high. I, I like I said, three and a half is maybe the, the max, um, simply because of who I am as a fan and what I enjoy watching. Um, but that's just it. I, I, there's nothing terribly wrong with it. Um, I just always think that it could be better. I guess. Right. Well, uh, I um, yeah, I enjoy this a good bit as well, Chad. Uh, I had um, I, I thought it was interesting. We got a very very long shine here almost awa levels of shine sequence for the southern boys and uh i've ri- just written in my notes take note doug finesse that's how you do flash that's good f- they were sh- this was good flash by the southern boys at the start of this um which should have got the crowd pretty excited in what they were doing as well and then when the uh when the midnights take over must be about ten, eight to ten minutes in when the midnights take over how right. co- how cool is their offense doing that stretch i mean um, Smothers is our face in peril. Awesome, awesome uh, backbreaker from Eaton where he holds Smothers over the knee. Mm-hmm. And then he hits the Alabama jam. We get the Savak kick from Lane, swinging neckbreaker. I mean, are there, can you think of any teams that are better working a heat segment than these two? They're so good. I mean, we, we talk we talk about Condry, and, uh, but I, I honestly think Eaton and Lane working work in the face in peril segment are amazing. Don't you think? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I think the the main thing is, you know, we've been a little critical on very extended shine sequences, and this had a longish one, but I think, one, the reaction of the Midnights and the frustration and Cornette going crazy, 
you know, on the outside really built to it. And then when they do take over, they really are have an ability to, even though they've been kind of outsmarted and outclassed for the first eight minutes or whatever of the match, they really have an ability in just a few minutes to make it feel like it's at least 50-50 now or that they have the advantage and have the match in hand. And I think that's a testament to them as a tag team. Uh, so it's, I mean, yeah. the, the finishing sequence of this, I guess we should say, like, the uh, they kick out of the rocket launcher, uh, Steve Armstrong does. And then you have a kind of great little false finish where Tracy Smothers uh, changes places with Steve Armstrong and gets a very good near fall. And then the, uh, the final is uh, Lane's on the outside, hits Smothers with the big kick to the back of the head, and then Eaton rolls him up for the one, two, three. So a really kind of fanatical pace right at the very end of the finish. Yeah, I mean, Lane busted out a butterfly suplex. Uh, how many times have we seen him do that? I don't think mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever seen him. But I, uh, I love this finish, um, Chad, because uh, after when the Midnight's hit the rocket launcher, I just thought, oh, that's it then. You know, I right. thought it was going to be, the, and I genuinely kind of pop. You know, I had a little mark out moment where they kicked out. I couldn't believe it. Um, so it was a very exciting finish. Um, and then Eaton got the small package for the three. Um, great match uh i'd probably go as high as you chad about three and three um four and Meltzer went four and three quarters for this yeah and he instantly said uh match of the year candidate um and my view is that that's not far off about four and three quarters i can't think of many better tag matches that we've seen i'm i'm a bigger fan of the final conflict uh, as you know mm-hmm. uh so i'd put that up there but this is as good as any of them that we've seen um i probably have the fantastics midnight's clash one is it clash one match uh, uh yeah that's the 10 minute kind of brawl uh probably the best match of those i I, th- I think the fantastics are marginally a better just better opponents than the southern boys but 86 with uh fantastics and the sheep herders Oh, no, now that, did we watch that match? Uh, no, that's, uh, that's, uh, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, uh, Mid-South, hey, right? You guys categorize the Crockett Cup as a watch show? Did oh, we- the Crockett Cup match. Um, and, yeah, I don't think, I don't, I wouldn't put that match personally in the level of this one. I, I don't recall that being, it doesn't stand out in my mind as being, uh, yeah, I know it's one of the matches talked about, but, um, no, I, I, I have in my mind that there's that... Uh, wasn't there a match where Flair and Arn tagged up once that we really liked as well, Chad, on the on the TV footage? I don't think... I mean, I, I would say the biggest candidates to this are Final Conflict and the Wrestle War 90 tag and then uh, the Clash 1 tag title match with Luger and Wyndham versus uh, Arn and Tully. I would think yeah. those are probably your... Uh, contenders I, I, I for have, both of us I, I of course like fantastics and gilbert and uh simmons do right right yeah, that's not quite it's not quite as good as this match um okay so big van vader makes his debut now he walks out in his big how do you describe it? like his samurai kind of vader suit thing 
Yeah, well, it's just his kind of headdress mask, which is uh, kind of metal looking, and then uh, he's able to make the steam come out of it on command. And he kind of like does this, he walks up and down the ramp and kind of hulks up for the crowd a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I've just wrote in my, he's taking on the, 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 the Z-Man, the Z-Man, Tom Zenk. And uh, I just written on my notes. I hope he just kills Zenkia. I hope he kills him. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, uh, Derek, any thoughts on our first look at Vader here? Uh, I I've always been a Vader fan. I thought this was a great way to bring him in because of that formula that we talked about a little bit ago. Let's bring in a new guy and put them over somebody that the fans know, and the fans knew who Tom Zink was. Uh, they liked the Z Man. He was a formidable competitor, but when you bring in Vader to just murder him, uh, it puts Vader through the roof, um, and that's that's what worked with, with this guy, and uh, this is the beginning of what would be, in my opinion, a Hall of Fame career in WCW uh, before he even gets to the WWE and, and does his run there. Chad? Yeah, this is a guy that uh, will pretty much dominate the next five years of footage that we watch parv and uh he's wearing his mask here we should note that vader wears the mask throughout the whole match and mm-hmm. as far as the squash match it's it's a good way to get him over with the crowd i thought he looked really good and he finishes off with a big splash that he gets huge air on so for a uh, squash match to introduce vader i thought this uh, fit the bill I had the uh, impression that the crowd were just stunned here. They couldn't believe how awesome this guy was. Yeah. They seemed like they were stunned into silence, didn't you think? Well, it's it's likely that a lot have not seen him, because even when he came in in the AWA in 1986, that's right when business was on the uh, decline, and I don't really know what their syndication reach was either, so it's definitely possible that probably most of the crowd had never seen uh, you know, Vader on TV or especially live. Uh, what do you think of Derek's uh, point there? Hall of Fame career, Vader? Uh, as far as WCW or as far as overall, like Wrestling well, Observer? Well, both. Uh, WCW, absolutely. He's probably, I, I think you can make a case for Vader as a top 10 WCW person of all time. Uh, Wrestling Observer, I'd probably say yes also. Um, taking into account wise does New Japan yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to take into account all his uh, Japan stuff and then every, the whole package. But uh, great worker, has a ton of great matches, a ton of different great matches where he's working big. He's he's uh, slugfest, shoot-style matches, some kind of garbage-style brawls. I mean, we'll see coming up a, uh, a boatload of great Vader matches just in confined in his WCW run. Uh, speaking of Vader in 90, that Hanson Vader match where the eye pops out, that is brutal. Have you seen yeah. that? Oh, God. Yeah, that's from February. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Vader in 1990, like, that's, that's one of the things with the more watching I've done. Like, I kind of just assumed, like, I knew Vader... When I first started watching WCW in late 1991, like I knew Vader, but he was in the Chamber of Horrors match. And then, of course, we get to his championship run. And I felt like he kind of just came on the scene in 1992. But as I've come back and watched like his 1990 stuff where he has a, he has a really good match with Choshu 
in uh in August of that year that I liked a ton and he has two Hanson matches actually uh, in 1990, and I liked all of them a pretty good bit. And then his matches with Hashimoto from 1989-1990, and even if you go back to 1986, the great uh, Leon White Stan Hansen match from AWA, uh, he was he was very good very early. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, more Vader to come, and uh, Gordon Soli now is with the Horseman. I should have uh, mentioned that he also, in between those last yeah. two matches, Jesus Christ, he um, he interviewed the Freebirds, who look absolutely ridiculous tonight. <laughs> they're wearing they're wearing makeup. Um, and I got my notes. Michael Hayes, maybe, 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 just about pulls this off. But uh, Jimmy, no. <laughs> like, but it, I mean, if if Hayes is not pulling it off. Jimmy Garvin. I mean, I don't know what he looks like here. He just looks so stupid, and like his hair starting to turn grey as well. He's. I mean, how would you describe what they're wearing here? You know um, what's really funny is you could you could take this and put it in the WWE at this point and say Michael Hayes is the honky tonk man, and Jimmy Garvin is Greg Valentine because of how ridiculous <laughs> the gimmick gets and how ridiculous the showman is great at it, but the worker is not. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if I'd be calling Garvin your worker. <laughs> I guess compared to Hayes, though, Garvin was more of an in-ring guy than... I mean, Hayes has got the promo, Hayes has got the showmanship, but in the ring... Um, well, maybe, like, if you take Jimmy Garvin from, like, I don't know, 1984 or something, but, I mean, <laughs> by, by this point, I don't know what Garvin could offer in the ring or, like... He is a contender for me, as uh, as we'll get on to, as one of the worst wrestlers of all time ever, ever, ever. <laughs> oh, come on. Really? Oh, <laughs> Jimmy Garvin in 1990 needs to be killed, in my book. In my book. But, like, but here, here he cuts a really terrible promo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and and so, uh, anyway, uh, but what are they wearing? Like spangly, like Hayes is wearing a, is it? Yeah, it's 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 glitter suspenders with pants, pants suits, and uh, suspenders. And uh, Jimmy Garvin is in gray glitter, and Hayes is in red glitter. Uh, it, it it may be the worst, probably the worst uh, ring attire I've ever seen. Like it, it's really bad. And to make matters worse, they're wearing their stupid Freebirds uh, t-shirts, kind of. They're not read. They're wearing them kind of like bibs. Yeah, like just not, around the collar. Yeah. Oh, they they look like they've been like. Imagine like the worst circus in the world, and like they felt they fell off the <laughs> they fell off the back of like the the circus truck or something. Um. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Soli also has a uh, horseman interview here. Wyndham cuts a bit of a promo, which is unusual. Um. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ole says he has a few surprises up his sleeve. Um. I don't know what it was about these promos, but none of them really hit the spot tonight. Um, yeah, well, I can tell you on this one, it's because what he said was didn't come true. I mean, I don't know what his big surprise was, but yeah, it didn't happen. I mean, what was it? That's true, actually, now that you've pointed yeah, it out. He was just sort of yammering on. Well, Wyndham seems like he's kind of tapped out at this point. He's kind of just there. Yeah, well, I think that kind of goes into the counterfeiting thing that we talked about, where 1990, he's pretty much a non-factor. Uh, Halloween Havoc, we'll see him kind of get rejuvenated a little bit. 
So, Fabulous Freebirds now taking on the Steiner Brothers. Um, and I've just written again, the Freebirds just look so stupid tonight. I can't, like, just go and, watch, go and look up Fabulous Freebirds, Great American Bash 90, because they just look so stupid. Um, but, all of that said, well, Chad, I'll let you take this. Yeah, well, yeah, I think you'll like this match and say it's a good match. And I did think the match was maybe better than uh, you might think on paper, given some of the Freebird performances. But I must admit, I thought Garvin was pretty bad during this match. And as complimentary as I think I've been about the Steiners lately, uh, Rick especially had some of his... uh, more of his goofier tendencies through this match that I didn't like, where he was sticking his butt out to the Freebirds. He bit Michael Hayes in the ass. He uh, he then rides uh, Scott Steiner. And then when they actually get the heat on him on the outside, like they give him that suplex and everything on the outside, and he gets right back up, which I d- didn't like. I mean, Garvin does give him another clothesline outside, so I don't know if, I mean, I don't really know who's to blame for that, but like, you know, I thought they were going to tease kind of a count out victory and then, uh, and then he just gets right back up. So this was not one of my favorite face and peril segments for him, but the, uh, but the, but the finish I did think was actually pretty clever because Garvin tries to get the pinfall and actually has it on Scott, but he's not the legal man. And uh, that allows Rick to come in and give a belly overhead belly to belly to Michael Hayes. And Scotty's able to pin him and get the pinfall. And I don't know if you notice this part, but right as the three counts happening, Hayes puts his foot on the rope. Like yeah. it's almost simultaneously, which I thought was a pretty, uh, pretty interesting kind of visual when they showed it on the replay. Uh, Derek. Um, I'm a huge Steiner brothers fan. And like uh, Chad said, on paper, this should have been really good because it was a little, uh, was it almost a year ago, maybe a little bit less that the Steiners beat the Freebirds for the tag titles, or am I getting the timeline mixed up there? Uh, well, it's more like I'd say seven, eight months, something like that, but yeah. But, you know, back that you rewind, that's a pretty decent match, and here it just is like two teams that are grasping at straws. The, the Steiner brothers always have relevancy, but at this point they were pushed down because of the fact that they had lost to Doom twice in a row. And um, I don't know. It was it was just interesting to see that. In terms of the match overall, again, it serves its purpose. Uh, the finish was clever. Um, I love Hayes as a showman. Uh, I guess I do give Garvin a little bit more credit than credit is due. <laughs> Um, I would have loved to see Terry Gordy as the free bird over Jimmy Garvin, but that's just my own personal thing. Um, however, you know, it, it did what it needed to do. The Steiner brothers again, look good coming out. The fans enjoy it. And, uh, that's kind of what you need to do in 1990. You don't need to fine tooth comb everything. <laughs> Always. If, if you think you're a little bit higher on Garvin than I am, wait till you get to my notes here. <laughs> um, I, um, I just can't uh, stress how terrible Jimmy Garvin looks in what they're wearing tonight. I know I've, I've mentioned it about four or five times now, but it has to be seen to be believed. Um, I thought Scott looked pretty good in this match. He he gave us a tilt-a-whirl suplex. And uh, what was that? Like a powerbomb in 1990? 
you know, guys weren't busting out moves like that at that point. So I thought Scott looked pretty great. Um, uh, we got a side slam by Hayes. He did a bulldog at one point. I th- I actually think Hayes has still got something to offer in 1990. Don't, don't you, Chad? I mean, he still seems like he's not completely tapped out at this point. Yeah. I, this this match, too, I want to quickly say it was too long. I mean, it, it could have had some minutes yeah. edited down. So, um, But then, like, Garvin, he... He, he botched a hot shot at the start of the match. How can he botch that move? <laughs> Christ, I could do a hot shot. All you have to do is... What, what do you do? You just uh, fall back with a guy onto the rope. How, how can you get it wrong? Um, then uh, after Hayes hits his bulldog, Garvin comes in with a chin lock to bring the match right down as if it wasn't long enough already. And then he does his typical thing. He's in the chin lock, and then he starts saying, yeah, 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 yeah. And I've just written in my notes, what an awful wrestler and character Garvin was in 1990. He's basically entirely worthless. <laughs> um, then uh, Scott hit a Frankensteiner. Rick got a belly to belly. We got a D- 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 Garvin hit a DDT. Um, the belly to belly was enough for a three. Not, not bad for what it was. Uh, Meltzer went three and a quarter yeah i um I that's go, high i go lower than that about two and a half for me yeah that's about where i'm at about two and a half i, w- I will give hayes credit because both his bump on the frankensteiner and the finish uh overhead belly to belly look good i uh, direct two and a half about right yeah I, i'd say that and maybe two and a quarter but um simply because of uh how ridiculous they look. I, guess. <laughs> uh, I can't stress this enough, though. Jimmy Garvin is absolutely atrocious. He's one of the worst. I swear. He's one of the worst. Him in 1990. I, I, I can't think. like, And he's on the same card as El Guillante. Don't forget. And I still think that he may be the worst worker we see. Oh. <laughs> um, speaking of El Guillante, he's tagging up with the fellow dudes with attitude here. JYD and Paul Orndorff. And uh, they're taking on Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, and Sid. So, when Sid is one of the biggest workhorses in, in a match, <laughs> what are you <laughs> going to do? Uh, Al Giante, is he wearing a t-shirt tonight? Yeah. Uh, he was wearing like a little tank top thing. Now, just before I uh, hand over to you guys, the one thing I noted in this match, I was on the floor laughing. <laughs> When Al Giante went to punch on Anderson during this match, and his face is absolutely priceless. It's one of the funniest things I've seen in some time. <laughs> do, you, do you know the moment I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> I've actually used the screen cap from that shot where Arn Anderson's back up into the ropes, both arms down, and looking at El Giante, and I've used that on the Territory Wars. <laughs> uh, can you can you send me that shot? I, I think that might be the front cover of this show, this week's show, Chad. I just love that. I love that visual. <laughs> I, I will look for it, and it will be en route soon. Uh, so, so what did you make of this uh, poor, poor Paul Orndorff? He's going to have to pull. He's having to put in a shift here. But uh, what did you make of this, uh, Chad? Uh, well, this is. <laughs> I mean, that's, what what can you say? I mean, I wasn't expecting a masterpiece, and you didn't get it. I think this is uh, this is pretty much spells the end of the dudes with attitude. You get horsemen kind of bumping around, Orndorff uh, doing what he can, 
JYD, I think, does look better here than in the Clash match, but he's certainly, you know, not looking like a world beater or anything. Uh, Wyndham's still having to kind of go towards him to get the headbutts on the floor where he's uh, feeding him. In fact, Ross actually says, like, he's trying to get the headbutt, so he's not even calling that it happened. And uh, then you get just a completely crap finish where the horsemen get DQ'd. El Gigante, I don't think, legally got tagged into this match. I may be wrong, but I don't think he did. And uh, the crowd really turns on... Our uh, fellow Argentinian at the end where he he just sort of sends everybody over the rope and they have to fly over. And uh, that's all he does. He kind of pie faces all three members of the horsemen and they retreat and the crowd starts booing him pretty bad. So uh, it, it doesn't look good for El Gigante. Uh, another moment, though, I did like was... Randy Anderson actually like climbing the ropes to raise El Gigante's uh, hand for the victory. <laughs> like I thought that was a decent touch. Derek, any thoughts? Okay, don't make fun of me, guys, but I am a huge El Gigante mark. I loved it when he came out and him and Flair. And this is in '91, I believe, but him and Flair have a have a couple week feud on. Saturday night or one of the shows then. Um, I thought it was great. I just really enjoyed El Gigante. Um, he was a terrible worker. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely horrid. But as a showcase, he was pretty fun. Um, uh, this match is the complete opposite of what we were talking about earlier. You have the dudes with attitudes. One of them cannot wrestle at all. Another one of them used to be able to halfway wrestle but no longer can and is very overweight and then you have a third who can wrestle a little bit but not very much and it's like we're pushing new stars but these guys were not good and way past the time in which they could have been premier baby faces so um i love this group of the horsemen though i i mean sid vicious and barry windham and uh, Arn Anderson are great. I enjoy it. I love six-man tags. Um, but overall, this match didn't have too much going on. It's kind of a letdown when you watch it because you're hoping for more, and that they just can't give you anything more than what they have. <laughs> do, do you think that a pair of heels or the three heels have been asked to stooge more ever in a match than... <laughs> on and on especially I mean, <laughs> his stooging is an overdrive here like all Ellie all the uh El Giante has to do is so much as look at one of the horsemen and they're kind of cowering in the corner making faces I mean <laughs> this is kind of like so cartoony over the top uh stooging from them but what else can they do I mean he can't even throw a punch this guy he can't like like the, the the most he does in this match, I think, is threaten to throw a punch, right? And that's where we get the on uh, the on facials. Mm-hmm. Um, Ornolf might as well have been tagging with two vegetables here. Uh, <laughs> it was just and um, one thing. I'll, the, the one interesting thing, uh, and we should have mentioned it before. This Baltimore crowd is weird. Uh, I say weird. They're they're not behaving well here. We get a big we want Sid chant during the match um so sid is even getting face heat now with a horseman uh, sid's one of those guys who always gets face heat when he's a heel um 
all the way through his career, as we've talked about before. He did it in 89. He's got he's getting a facey again here. He has it in 92. He has it against Sean in 96. Um, always gets the face heat. Um, earlier on, did you um, spot them chanting, Michael Hayes is a bitch doing the Freebirds match, Chad? <laughs> I did not. I did not catch that. Really, really loud. Michael Hayes is a bitch. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. Um, but So that's the kind of Baltimore crowd we were dealing with here. Uh, yeah, this was abysmal, but, um, I, 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 I was entertained by the, by the studio going on. And I, I thought it, it would, this was testament to what I was saying last week, Chad, about El Giante, despite the fact that he's seven foot, he's got no star presence at all. And Sid, despite being a smaller guy, seemed like the star in this match. You know, he seemed like the bigger presence. Would you agree with that? Well, I think, I think just at the end of this, it was pretty, uh, you know, it was, everyone was pretty aware that El Gigante, even now, you know, we'd heard about this guy for almost six months by this point, and he, he still is not ready for to be in the ring. Because, like I said, he doesn't get tagged in. His offense consists of, like, giving the horseman a pie face. Uh, he certainly doesn't even come close to taking a bump. So, I mean... It, it the writing's on the wall i think by this point I, I don't see i don't i don't understand him i like i mean okay there's 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 being like inept and not knowing what to do and then there's like him i don't understand like what planet is he on i don't understand oh, yeah. i mean he's tall did you hear uh in the horseman pre-match promo that Wyndham said he was 710 or 711 yeah yeah he did <laughs> that was ridiculous <laughs> They, they they mentioned Andre as well at one point, didn't they? Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. We did get a Andre name drop and a Lord Littlebrook name drop between this match. So I, I do think this match was one that Ross was kind of clowning on. I think you could have heard uh, Bowling Shoe Ugly if it had been a few years later. But, but like he says, uh, he says they thought Andre was big. Uh, <laughs> like, come on, Ross, give us something more than that. <laughs> yeah. You thought Andre was big. Well, let's check out. The thing I don't understand, right? Okay, you can be seven foot tall and you can be Argentinian and not really know much about wrestling, but come on. Like, dude, like, it doesn't take skill to throw a punch or, you know, like, why is he so clueless? I don't, I don't get it. Like, it, you know, I've never wrestled a day in my life. I swear to you, I'd know what to do more than that. Like, <laughs> you get, like, guys like Teddy Long or, like, I don't know like poorly dangerous like these guys aren't wrestlers but they're more competent than Elgi. i don't understand it i honestly don't know like, shit um mean gene oakland in that match with hogan is better than El Gigante. <laughs> do you know what i mean like oh, yeah it's, well, it's, he's he's bad and yeah okay um anyway gordon Soli's with lex luger who cuts a pretty standard promo uh and uh he's taken on me mark for the u.s title and right at the start Andrew Dice Clay of the NWA these days. Uh, that's poorly dangerously, according to Jim Ross, uh, which immediately uh, had me going on to various... Uh, uh, I was right in touch with my wrestling buddies there. Who the hell is Andrew Dice Clay? Um, anyone? Uh, anyone? Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, he was a, uh, a like comedian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. <laughs> very, very short claim to fame, but he he was a name in 1990. Um, 
Paul Lee talks to Murray on the phone during this match. And uh, I, I thought this was an interesting look at Luger against an unusual opponent for him. Bigger man, I guess. Um, so, uh, Chad. Yeah, one thing that I liked about this card was that they finished off with the uh, U.S. title, uh, world tag titles, and then the heavyweight title uh, as the final three. Uh, I was interested going into this match because, like we said, me and Mark had looked better than I kind of thought he would. And, uh, you know, we've, of course, been pretty high on Luger all around. And they, I did like how they played into the fact that, you know, Luger usually does have a strength and size advantage, but not tonight. And I, the match started off with kind of some interesting wrestling. Uh, Taker actually did like a, uh, a, a leg crossover. It looked kind of, it was kind of like Hulk Hogan in Japan type mat wrestling that you don't expect him to bust out, and then he does. Uh, some and then some kind of arm work and stuff like that. But there was a couple of moments where Taker looked a little lost, like he completely whiffs on a punch at uh, one point. And I don't think this was one of Luger's best nights either. So while I'd, I'd say this match was solid, I was uh, a little disappointed in it because I thought it could have been a. Uh, a really good match as they'd have both kind of had their top working shoes on. Luger does get Taker up in the rack, and then uh, Paulie comes in and hits him with the telephone to uh, to stop that. But then eventually uh, Luger is able to kind of get the the flash pinfall off of a clothesline. So uh, a a fairly kind of weak finish, and this will end. Uh, I think this is it for Mean Mark. Period for us, Parv. Right, well, I wonder what he goes on to do now. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> uh, D- D- Derek, any thoughts on this one? Um, kind of just the same thing. You're hoping for more. Uh, this match leaves you like, wait a second, is this over? Is this it? And um, I'd even say Luger is a guy that's in transition at this point, and we'll see that over the next couple months. And me and Mark, they had been building up in such a big way I guess if the match was better, I wouldn't have been surprised to see Mark win the title, given the angle that they had going on with Paul Lee as well. Um, but, I mean, overall, it was just kind of a letdown. Yeah, I uh, I thought it was pretty good for what it was meant to be. Um, I wasn't really, I'm not really expecting that much from me, Mark, Chad. I mean, we, we've said that he's been all right. He's better than... By that, I think he's been better than I would have thought he would be at that time. Um, and I think he's better than when he was tagging with Spivey. Uh, was he tagging with Spivey? Yeah, Spivey, right? Yeah, uh, well, I, and I'm glad you brought up his name because, I mean, I know it's in the future. But, I mean, just for me, like, knowing the type of match that Luger has with Spivey, in Wrestle War 91, I think that kind of hurts this match a little bit because I think yep. that's like a really great, you know, Luger performance. And I think Spivey was worse than Mean Mark based on what we've seen. And uh, that match is a good bit better than this one, I think. Um, Meltzer goes three stars. Oh, damn. Yeah, I'd be, a, I'd be around like two, two and a quarter for me. Wow. Uh, Derek, about the same? Yeah, I'd be in the same spot. Um, like I said, I just I, I just left it being let down. And, you know, the funny thing is in the preview show, they show Mark coming off the top rope, and they really show, like, his athleticism. And I just didn't get to see that much of it. <laughs> so. 
I gave it. Uh, I'd probably go the same as Meltzer here, three. And uh, coming coming back to uh, the booking point of view, um, Derek, which I know you're you're strong on. I actually think Luger really needed this win at this point. He he just spent the entire year chasing Flair and failing yet again. Uh, he's still the U.S. champ. He needs a big win now at this point, just to say Luger's still a world class wrestler. And you know, I know he's still kind of like I guess this choke is tag was starting to stick with him and Sting was the guy they were going with. Right. But um, to keep Luger strong, he and me and Mark had been built up pretty well uh, at this point. So, and you know, what what really can you expect out of these two? I don't like, I like the um, I like the fact that the crowd were really with Luger here. And uh, you know those big clotheslines? There are three big clotheslines and the crowd popped for every single one of them. So, I enjoyed that. Okay. I guess in WCW's defense, they made me believe that Luger could lose um, because of what they had been doing. And that's why I said, you know, me and Mark had a very good build coming into this match. I mean, he was looking very strong, and it's surprising to see them let go of him so easily in what it sounds like. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a bit unusual that, they, that they'd let him go at this point, but um, I haven't read the upcoming uh, observer so maybe Meltzer will have a bit more detail on how exactly that went like did the WF poach him or did Jim Hurd just let him go you know or Ole, Ole Anderson did he just let him go I don't know yet okay uh, so this is an unusual matchup that we haven't seen before Rock and Roll Express taking on Doom for the world titles um, uh, and uh, Jim Ross on Taylor Long at the start of this uh, match his mouth is so big, he could whisper into his own ear. <laughs> <laughs> Which I will be using at work. Um, yeah, Jim Ross busts out some pretty good lines on these shows, yeah, doesn't he? Yeah, that one was a great line. His mouth is so big, he could whisper into his own ear. He's talking about <laughs> he's talking about the peanut head. Uh, Derek, Doom taking on the rock and rolls. Um, I am a very big Doom fan, and I'm a very small Rock and Roll Express fan. Um, I have never found any value in Richard Morton. I believe that he is, so to speak, my Jimmy Garvin to you. Um, I can't stand him. Uh, I can't stand the Rock and Roll Express. I didn't care for this match. I thought this was a clear instance of, hey, guess what? It's 1990. It's not 1986. Um, I just could not stand the Rock and Roll Express getting a an opportunity at this point, but I guess in hindsight and in booking, you have to give somebody a break. And at this point, you know, they did build them up, but I cannot, I'm just not into it at all. Controversial opinion, Chad. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, that's one reason I really wanted uh, Derek on these shows. Cause I did think he'd bring a uh, differencing opinion and I actually knew kind of, I'll, I'll admit, I kind of knew some of his uh, hatred towards some of these workers ahead of time just based on stuff I've read from him online. But, uh, I, I mean, I guess we can get into this after we each give our own analysis, but I, I, I really like this match a lot. And I think it's a great match at making Doom look awesome. 
I think in a match where you want to put over the heels and make them look like the dominant tag team in the division, this does that because, I mean, you talk about a shine sequence. We almost get like a heel shine sequence here where the uh, the rock and rolls kind of try to do all their their kind of flashy type moves in the early going and just get stunted by the power and punches of doom. And then they end up taking over and give a really good face and peril sequence on Ricky Morton that I really wish would have paid off in a hot tag. We get a very tepid tag to Robert Gibson. Uh, the crowd's not very into this match at all. Uh, but but I did think he showed good fire in his comeback and the uh, the finish where Teddy Long gets in and then gets decked by Robert Gibson. But uh, I guess it was what Butch Reed comes off the top rope with the shoulder block and lays him out with it to get the uh, relatively, again, relatively clean pinfall for Doom and a dominant win for them I thought was very good. Uh, Chad, I'll agree with you on everything that you just said. I just, I, I think that the match did have that purpose. I just can't stand the Midnight Express or Rock and Roll Express. Um, I just didn't see why they had any sort of relevance at this point. But everything that you said, I completely echo. Doom comes out looking like monsters that they should look like. So, um, it, this is an interesting match because uh, it was worked with double heat, Chad. So you've got two face and power seat with like basically it where the shine would be. Gibson had a face and power sequence, and then. Where the face and barrel sequence would be, Morton had his face and barrel sequence, so um, it was basically Doom just decking. Like when I looked at this match on paper, it, I thought, well, hopefully this is about 15 minutes of Doom kicking the shit out of the rock and rolls using their full arsenal of power moves, and it played out exactly as I hope. Uh, yes, yeah. um, and uh, we got to see some cool uh, offense from Butch Reed. Um, who's who, who? I guess is the worker out of the two of them, right? Would you agree with that? Um, it, well, they're actually at a kind of weird point where I mean, Butch Reed had not been. He seemed like he was really on the decline, and then Doom sort of rejuvenated him, and Ron Simmons was kind of still green, but sort of coming into his own. So it's really they're a pretty close tag team. Uh, and this is something I talked about with Charles on the tag team summit I did on the Place to Be podcast. But I think they're a tag team that you it's really tough kind of to decide who's the better member of the team. I think they're really equal to me. Yeah. I, but, uh, I mean, if, if you look at what each guy does, it's Reed busting out the neck, the neck breakers and the, and the really the big bombs, I guess. Um, who hits the shoulder block over, off the top rope? Is that Reed? That as was well? Reed. That's that was Reed. Reed. As, yeah. That's Reed as well. Um, but uh, Simmons has got an amazing uh, clothesline, hasn't he? Mm -hmm. Hits a hits a mean clothesline. Um, yeah. So I I really enjoyed this uh, this match as well. The crowd did not pop for the rock and rolls at all, um, no. which kind of hurt the match. And we we did talk about this. Uh, um, a bit last night, Chad, just between the two of us. Um, but do you think this is an example of a, of a crowd kind of being in the wrong? This is something that uh, myself and Johnny talked about on the Titans of Wrestling show that is yet to air. <laughs> um, uh, is it possible for a crowd to be in the wrong, inverted commas, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think you can always have a weird crowd. I, I mean, I think you get into... 
I understand the argument that like you're wrestling for this crowd, but when you go to pay-per-view, you know, this, this went out on worldwide pay-per-view. So it went beyond that. It went beyond just the 10,000 people in Baltimore. And, you know, if you based everything on some crowd reactions, I mean, you know, it, let me take the 1996 main event for an example. If you want to base something, uh, Survivor Series, if you want to base something on a crowd reaction, then you build your whole company around Sid because, you know, he had that massive pop, was massively over with the MSG crowd. I, d- I do think, like, trying to get a crowd reaction is one objective of a match with wrestling, but I do think there's certain instances where a crowd has been unfair to a match, has been wrong, has been weird, whatever you want to call it. And I would say this is a match that is uh, reflected of that because the crowd was hot for all the matches. It's just kind of weird how they just didn't take, you know, they were, there was 10,000 Derek Cornettes in this crowd because they did not take the Rock and Roll Express, I guess, serious during this match and didn't really want to see them. And as a result, the hot tag was, I mean, it got almost zero reaction. And I think the big key point for the Rock and Roll coming into this was that they were going to be five-time champions if they won. And honestly, their odds had to have been 50-1. to 1. I mean, if that. They had no chance in hell. That should have been their theme music. <laughs> um, okay. It's, it's entertaining to hear someone hate the rock and rolls as much as you do. Because uh, it's, uh, I mean, I, you, you don't post a, a PWO, do you, Derek? No, yeah, not probably. too much. <laughs> um, yeah, there are some people there who think that uh, Ricky Morton is one of the greatest workers ever. Uh, so... Um, it's interesting to like uh, to hear someone so down on the guy. <laughs> he's, he's very good at getting his ass whooped. I'll give him that. I mean, yeah, well, when you see Ricky Morton get beat up, you know that he's given everything he's got, and he's a very good person in that role. I will give him that credit. Outside of watching him get his ass beat by somebody, I have nothing to open my eyes to. <laughs> um so yeah i mean if uh if you're a listener to both where the big boys play and titans of wrestling i guess you could do an interesting kind of mix and match you could take that bit of me and johnny talking about it uh and hear johnny's thoughts and hold them right up to what chad just said uh to, to see the kind of black and white of that particular the two extreme uh viewpoints i guess um that's not to say chad that you don't you don't you don't think the crowd heat doesn't matter right but that sometimes a crowd can be weird or wrong or or shit on a match wrongfully in some way, right? I just think, I mean, I just think if you're going to base whether a match was successful or not or quote-unquote good or not based on crowd heat, you just get out, you know, a decibel meter and hold it up to the television and see what the reading is. And, you know, yeah. I mean, if it's over 120 decimals, then okay, yep, that was a great match. I mean, I don't, I don't think... I don't think any, you know, with what we try to do where we analyze and really kind of dig into the structure of the matches, that's, you know, a successful approach to take. Yeah, and I mean, the thing thing I've tried to say to to Johnny is that by that barometer, JYD is a great worker, Sid, as you mentioned, is a great worker, Ivan Putsky, you know, super over guy, terrible worker, you know, so it's kind of anybody who's really over is great, right? Um, 
I, the, the, the other weird thing is like a guy like Sting, okay, always over, right? Always really over with the, with the live crowd. Yet we've seen that it never it doesn't necessarily translate into box office. It's weird, that isn't it? If you, yeah, you're starting to you kind of see that a little bit with uh, Daniel Bryan currently in the WWE. I mean, he's insanely over with the fans that are there, but there hasn't been any empirical evidence yet with his run that, you know, more fans are coming to the arena or watching him on TV. The fans that are there and watching him are very passionate about him, but mm-hmm. they're, you know, it's not an approach where they're telling their friends and their friends are telling their friends and so forth. Yeah, and I mean, if you if you just want to go by pops, though, pops and uh, crowd reaction, I mean, shit, look at Virgil in 1991. Was there anybody more over in 1991 than Virgil? And, like... Do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know, there's definitely something, I will return to this debate one day, because I think it's, there are interesting points of view on both sides, but that there are so many times where, like, I don't know, I'd imagine that there'd be shows where Jim Duggan probably got the loudest pop of the night. You yeah, know? absolutely. Or like, also, say, Jim Duggan consistently gets good pops. If you watch those pay-per-views and things that he's on, even on television, he is, he's over I mean, if we're playing the numbers game or the crowd decibel game, Jim Duggan is up there. Right. Yeah, there's, there's something... I, I don't know um, if you can put a one-to-one um, equation between over overness and drawing for a start, which is one assumption, I think, that can easily be made. And I don't think you can say anybody who gets a good reaction is a, is, is a, is a great worker. Um you know, there's there's numerous guys that we could point to. You know, I mean, Mick Mick Foley had that uh, ongoing thing where he'd get the cheap pop just by saying the name of the town uh, as an ongoing kind of in joke during the during the Monday Night Wars. Do you remember that? Yep. I mean, that just shows how easy it is to get a pop, right? <laughs> I mean, it's yep. not it's not it, that it's not rocket science to get. Uh, um, you know, it does, it's not that hard to get a big reaction, is what I'm saying. Um, if you know, you know, which buttons to press, I guess. Well, I'm um, not going to go too in-depth. I, I, Some people know I actually have been a pro wrestler. I, I wrestled in Minnesota and Wisconsin for about four or five years. I got to wrestle out in Utah. Um, and I was a very good heel because I could consistently get heat. And then I would watch people wrestle and go out there and yell at a little kid. And that was their way of getting over and it's so pathetic to watch that because that's not how you're supposed to get people to not like you. Um, right. And it, it, there's something to be said about being able to get a reaction from a crowd. And I was doing it so well that they ended up starting cheering for me. And I mean, I was a fucking nasty person. And <laughs> I, would, I would scream at people's faces about how pathetic their life was and how you shouldn't even be in the ring with me. And people started cheering for it, you know, and they wanted to see more. And um, there's something to be said about that. Does that mean I'm a good wrestler? Does that mean I'm a draw? Does that mean I'm over? Um, There's a lot that goes into it. Sure. Okay. Any any final thoughts on this chat or should we move on, you reckon? I think we can move on. Okay. Um, And so, main event. Oh, no. First of all, Ric Flair gives an empty arena interview, which was a little bit unusual. Um, th- this is usually safe for pretty serious moments in wrestling when you have the empty arena interview. 
a uh, little bit unusual, but like most of the promos on the show, nothing memorable. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, is this the to be the man? You got to beat the man promo. Yeah, yeah. Just, just. Uh, I, I, I kind of feel that Flair's a little bit been tapped out in nineteen ninety. Chad, like he hasn't really been bringing his. It, it's almost like Flair by the numbers at this point. Well, the first few months he's really good, and then you can definitely see when Hurd comes in. Uh, he loses a lot of kind of wind in his sails um, once he was asked to become Spartacus or whatever. Right, but he's still got the long hair here, but it's like, I don't know, he seems a bit dead behind yeah, the eyes. Yeah, well, that was phase one where he had the hair and the ponytail, actually, a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, so. so, main event time, Ric Flair taking on uh, Sting. It's for the NWA World Heavyweight title. Uh, Sting is the challenger. And uh, one of the stipulations for this match is that Ole Anderson is going to be handcuffed to El Gionte for the duration of the match. Um, now, I've got a big note here. Okay. Why are the dudes at Attitude at ringside here? Do they have manager's licenses? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... what? Do, why have they got any business out there at all? Doing I believe the, uh, the precedent was set to make sure that the horsemen could not interfere because of what happened at the previous two events and even how they got in the cage. Um, the precedent was set that they will not have any influence over the over this contest. We will have a winner. I remember Jim Ross saying that continuously leading up to the show and on the preview show. We will have a winner. The dudes with attitudes will be out there to make sure that the horsemen don't get involved. It's not fair, and WCW needed a Jesse Ventura in the booth pointing this out. This isn't fair. Isn't How can this be fair? There were f- five faces around ringside. One one Ric Flair, Ole Anderson handcuffed to El Gionte. I mean, the, the odds are stacked against Flair here, aren't they? I mean, like, could anything else be set up for Sting to win the title here? I don't know. I mean, it, the writing is really on the wall when it comes down to it, but um, yeah, it's it's tough to say. All right, Chad. Uh, another goat. Is this the first time we've seen Flair versus Sting since Clash 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 One? Uh, Starcade '89. Starcade '89. Right. Yeah. 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 All right, any thoughts? Uh, well, this is a match that I think uh, could have you could have canned the Rotunda Sheik match. Added six minutes here. Uh, because it it felt a little short. I mean, it it goes around I think eighteen minutes or so, and uh, I mean it's 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 Flair versus Sting. It's it's the same kind of type of match that me and you, Parv, have discussed is not necessarily our favorite type of Ric Flair match where right. Flair will chop Sting, Sting will no sell, Flair will kind of suplex Sting, Sting will no sell. Uh, he did kind of go after the knee and stuff here, which was very good. And I did like uh, Ross's commentary a lot on this match, especially at the beginning with all the crap going on around ringside. He just says, we're just going to focus on the in-ring action, which kind of felt like him throwing his hands up at the booking around it. Uh, but, I, I mean, this, this, I think, for me, Clash 1 is sort of the standard bearer of the matches between these two. I thought this match was good to very good, but didn't quite reach a great level. 
And uh, like I said, it was too short. I would have liked to have seen kind of a 30-minute epic with Sting really kind of having to overcome the odds, uh, really been beat down for, you know, 10 minutes or something like that and having to really reach down and overcome the odds to win. And we didn't get that much here, and Sting ends up winning with an inside cradle to win the belt. To a huge pop, though, I want to add. Derek? Oh, man, I love this match. I love Sting. I'm the biggest Sting fan. I said this a couple months ago on the uh, Place to Be message board on the or on the Place to Be podcast thing. I, somebody kind of shit on Sting getting a DVD set, and I went up to bat full-heartedly. I, I think that this, compared to what happened a couple months earlier with another guy, getting handed the title by the predecessor that was the face of the company. I thought this was amazing. Um, now, the match, 16 minutes could have been longer. I would have liked, like Chad said, 30 minutes. Uh, you know, more offense on player that was relevant. Um, I mean, they played up the knee thing too much, or so much. I wonder if there was actually something wrong with the knee at this point, I guess. Um, if we look at house show results when he came back and stuff, but um, I love it. I, I enjoy, you know, the finish, and they've only done the finish about a thousand times where Flair does go for the figure four. Um, then they do the small package. They did it a year earlier with Funk and Flair, which I believe is the greatest Ric Flair match um, of a long time. Uh, but this, I just love this match. And Rick Steiner's. Uh, when Sting gets the win and Rick Steiner gets up on the apron and I'm doing it right now as I say it and he throws his arms up in the air it's so funny to watch because it's like that's the pinnacle of Rick Steiner's career is watching Sting <laughs> win the world title <laughs> I just love it I love the pop at the end it was it was a great moment and it showed true class with Sting's promo afterwards um, yeah it was great um, well, I, I hate to I hate to be a, a downer after all of that, but um, you, you know this was I, I've always said that um, the flair formula is comes out most when he's wrestling Sting Chad. Um, I actually he did deviate from it a little bit here because uh, he went after the knee um, and Sting had the injured leg. My problem with all of this is that I didn't think that the moment where Sting won the title felt as big as it should be. Like, this should be a big moment, you know. Flair, Flair has pretty much held onto this since... Well, I mean, he's had the title basically since 1981, right? Um, give or take an interim. Well, Starcade 83, I think you couldn't yeah. say he was... Yeah. Starcade 83, you could take it from. Um, in my mind, basically since Starcade 87, apart from, like, a couple of months where Steamboat had the title... He's had a pretty lengthy reign here, um, yeah. unbroken, you know. Um, and well, before that, there was, there was a month of uh, Garvin, and then that's a monster reign as well, like all through 85, 86. There's a bit of Dusty in there somewhere, but I mean, pretty much unbroken. This should be a massive moment, and it doesn't feel as... It didn't to me anyway, Chad, feel as big as it should have. Um now, do you mean 
from the actual finish or from like the celebration and just, just, everything afterwards? Just, just everything, really. I mean, it didn't feel like kind of one of those like Macho Man winning the title at WrestleMania Four or um, I don't know, even like Steamboat winning at uh, uh, the Steamboat winning the title felt like a bigger deal than this to me. Do you agree or not? I, I, I disagree with that. I I thought the moment, the actual moment, I mean, the NWA world title changes. You see a lot of it on kind of reversal, cross bodies, uh, small packages, inside cradles, stuff like that. So I thought as far as the finish, that was fine. And then I thought the celebration was actually one of the highlights where, you know, if you do want to doom Sting's reign, which I'm sure we will, uh, and the upcoming shows and the the how unsuccessful it was in some areas. I don't think night one, uh, well, up to the promo, which we can talk about. But up to the promo, I think night one was a uh, unequivocal success for me because I thought the celebration was really cool. Uh, the pop seemed very large and was there. And uh, I, th- I thought everything felt appropriate for the moment. They did bring out some fireworks, some actual fireworks. I should mention yeah, that. Yeah. Did uh, you notice if you watch before the match when Sting is doing his entrance, they have a back view of him when the pyro's coming down and he looks over to his left like, what the hell am I supposed to do? And then he puts his hands up like Superman. It's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to watch, before we get into the post-match promo, um, I should say that that Doom Rock and Rolls match, two and a half, quarter from Meltzer okay. um, I'd probably go a bit higher than that Chad I'd, I'd, I reckon more like three and a half for that match uh, I'm probably uh, around three and a half yeah something like that yeah and then uh, Derek I'm assuming you're lower than that more I, I'd probably go two and a half simply because of the story of how doom how good doom looks afterwards and or what they look like before during and after um, in that purpose, the Rock and Roll Express did their job. They got their asses beat and made Doom look awesome. So, good job. <laughs> and then three and three quarters for the main event. Hmm. I'm uh, I'm around there. I mean, I had the match ranked at three and a half when I watched the footage, the 1990 footage before, and the match seemed about the same when I watched it last night. So I'm I'm about there as well, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and did, I'm assuming you're higher, Derek. Yeah, well, I'd say uh, uh, going back and watching it again um, and watching some of the buildup, I go three, uh, three and three quarters um, simply because of that moment, I guess, as a Sting fan through and through. I mean, I stuck with this guy through everything. I've defended him, and I, I, I love Sting. I think he's amazing. Um, but that's that's why it's so good for me is to watch, like, there's my guy winning the title after all the shit that the horsemen have put him through. Um, and that's what gives it the bump for me. I, I'm definitely in the minority on this uh, on this big moment, by the way, because uh, even Meltzer is saying here um, that the WF set quite a standard with his title chains at WrestleMania. And I'm not saying this topped it, but it was definitely comparable. So mm-hmm. he, he's comparing this to the big uh, Ultimate Warrior uh, um, title change. Uh, I I just I don't know. I don't, for for me, this didn't uh, have any emotional impact. I guess, but uh, I'm happy to be uh, in a in a minority there. Um, Post match, Sting cuts a promo where 
what he really does is put Flair in the title over. He says that yeah. Flair is the great is the greatest champ of all time, and that uh, him Sting is just a champion for tonight, and he's got some really big shoes to fill. Now, now, now Chad, I'm interested in your thoughts here. You sound like you've got something to say. Yeah, this is one of the weirdest I think post match promos I may have ever heard. One, Sting's really winded. Two, I don't know if he was just wanting to be kind of appreciative to Flair for putting him over. And as we've talked about, kind of with the backstage stuff, Flair was pretty adamant on not giving Luger the title and wanted it to be Sting. Uh, but, but it, I mean, he, I can kind of understand that, like, you know, him saying, like, Flair was the best champion of all time and now I'm the champion, but... I, I, I think he could have said it in a much better way. Like if he'd have just said something along the lines of, you know, Ric Flair, you always said to be the man, you got to beat the man. And tonight I beat the man. Like that would have been very successful, I think as a post-match celebration promo, but it almost like he was begging to join the horseman again with the way he was yammering on about how great Flair was. I mean, this guy, you know, from a storyline perspective, tried to end your career and now you beat him based on a cradle and you want to call him the greatest champion of all time and all this. It seemed very bizarre to me. Um, Derek, your booking thoughts here? I guess I, I, um, I go back to a year before this when at the Great American Bash 1989, um, Sting got a big rub by Flair when Flair gave him a very doofal promo after he came out and helped him against Mood and Funk. And that's the only way I can make sense of the way that Sting acted and what he said, is that he wanted to do that same kind of thing. Um, I've never seen Sting as a guy who's going to degrade people in his promos, a la Triple H. <clears throat> but um, at this point, I just I saw him just kind of giving credit where credit's due, more or less. But Meltzer's take on this is really interesting. He says, um, Sting made a speech where he really put Flair over in a huge way, which actually got some booze because it was out of character. It came off as a good move to the Flair fans, and there were many, although Sting's support was probably as much or more than any Flair match I've seen in a long time. As champion, Sting is in a pressure situation for many reasons. Unlike any of the title changes over the last nine years or so, this doesn't figure to be a short-term change. While there doesn't appear to be any plans right now, I wouldn't be surprised to see Flair win it back somewhere down the line. But if it were to happen, it would be more a short-term thing. There is a new king, and Flair's reign as number one man in the promotion is over. Uh, unfortunately for Sting, he's following in the footsteps of some of the um, of someone that many feel is the greatest all-round performer in history. Uh, right, blah 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 blah. So his basic point is is that Flair had to cut um, Sting had to cut some promo like this. Because he's signalling to the fans and everybody else that this isn't your typical kind of interim champ, you know, like all of the other guys with like Garvin, uh, Steamboat, Dusty, they they win the title for a month or so and they drop it back to Flair, and this is basically Sting saying, no, this is it, I'm actually the champ now, properly the champ. Um, what? Did, any thoughts on Meltzer's kind of take there, Chad? I, I just I disagree with that. I, I think he was more kissing ass to Flair. I I disagree. Okay. I, I mean I don't see how that builds up a rematch because Sting's putting him over. All right. So um, yeah, I don't really know what I think about that. I I thought that he 
did a good job of putting the title over, the importance of the title itself over. Um, and I'd be interested to see uh, what listeners think of that uh, particular promo, because it is a one of the stranger ones um, that I can remember. Oh, All in all, though, this is a really good show. Would you agree with that? I thought, um, in terms of a card, 11 matches, really fun. Flew by watching it, and... Well, a number of matches in the three-star-plus range, um, and one match in particular, which is phenomenal. So, one of the better shows we've seen, Chad. Yeah, thumbs-up show, definitely. Um, and Derek is one of your favorite shows as well, right? Absolutely. Um, I think in the previous podcast for The Place to Be, they talked about a trifecta of three pay-per-views in a row. Chad, is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Had yeah. three, uh, best three pay-per-view run. Yeah. The, I mean, I know that this card overall isn't the greatest of all time, but I would totally put this in with Halloween Havoc 90 and Starcade uh, 1990 as three shows that I, I can always go back and watch because of how fun I remember they were when I was a kid, renting the videos, watching them over and over, um, and then, of course, recreating the events with my Sting and Ric Flair uh, action figures. I, I just love it as a fan. Right, yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it, and Chad, you were suggesting that you made me a top three show that we've done. Yeah, I think uh, I mean I think it's up there after you get past Clash One and uh, Great American Bash nineteen eighty nine. I think it's in the conversation with like Clash Six, Clash Four, Starcade eighty five, Wrestle War ninety, some of those shows. It, it's definitely a new contender, and it's it's kind of a show that people like. I don't really see people talking about Great American Bash 90 much. Like no, yeah, no. It's a it's a show that's kind of forgotten. Where I think most people, well, I, I mean, I would say most people talk. No, it's when Steam beats Flair, and then like I said, if you're kind of a WCW aficionado, you know about the uh, Southern Boys tag. But other than that, not a lot of discussion. But what I feel like 89 is talked up a lot, and I feel like I see. Even like the ninety one, ninety two stuff talked up a lot if you if you move in the right circles. But some of this ninety stuff still seems a bit under the radar for me for WCW. I don't I don't know why that is, but um, yeah, maybe that's just my maybe that's just my own sense. But uh, yeah, this is a this is an under the radar show in my mind. Um, so um, let's do the end of show awards then. Match of the night for you, Derek. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to go with Sting versus Flair. I think it is. And I know that might not, you know, mesh with everybody, but I just, like I said, as a fan and as a commentator or spectator, I felt like it was the most purposeful match of the night. It had the most build, had everything that went right in it. So I know which way you're going, Chad. Yeah. Southern boys, uh, midnight express for me. Uh, me too. Yeah. There's no, no question. Um, MVP is more interesting, I guess. Um, Derek, uh, you got to go with Sting. Uh, he he was the reason why this show was put on. Um, Chad, I will go with uh, for my MVP. I'm gonna actually go with somebody that I don't think will ever be MVP again, and uh, I'm gonna go with Tracy Smothers. 
I thought he was really good in that tag match, put on a good performance. Like I said, I love that Kung Fu sequence. Uh, him kind of switching places with Scott Armstrong, I thought was really clever. And then his bump off of uh, Lane's big boot at the finish, I thought was really good too. So Tracy Smothers is my MVP. And then one of the more unusual choices of all time for me, I'm going to go with Harley Race. I just thought he fucking, <laughs> he fucking brought it in that in that match. Nobody in the world expected Harley Race to come out throwing bombs like it was 1977 again. <laughs> so Harley Race for me. Um, although anybody in that tag match would uh, be a close second. Um, it's and now Derek, uh, if if you don't know, we have a uh, an award that we give out each show called the Billy Graham Award for the worst worker on the show. So, uh, yeah, who is the most? Uh, who is the worst worker in your mind? I'm a, I guess outside of um, uh, Ricky Morton. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess you got to go with Buddy Landell or the Iron Sheik. Um, probably Iron Sheik simply because of how out of shape he looked. Landell at least had a purpose. Um, you think uh, it's between Sheik and Landell? I mean, there are some other guys I could think about. All right, so you're going to go with <laughs> you're going to go with Iron Sheik, uh, Derek? Yeah, I'm going to go with Iron Sheik as the worst. Simply, oh. I'm going to put Jimmy Garvin up on the mantle for just a couple minutes. And, that, uh, that pain that pains me. That uh, Iron Sheik's getting a oh, he was good in that match. <laughs> All right, uh, Chad. I won't go with Iron Sheik as well. Oh, Thank you, Dad. Oh, come on. El Guillante was on this show. <laughs> uh, out of spite to Parv. I know. In good conscience, I think I have to go with El Gigante. Uh, he didn't get a legal tag in for well, this match. He didn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, I guess, he's, I guess if you want to grade him, he's an N.A. Because I don't know what you could say. <laughs> no contact was made with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he's terrible all around. So, yeah, I got to go with my boy. Yeah, and mine, worst worker in the world, 1990, Jimmy Garvin. <laughs> so bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had a good clothesline on the outside, though. Yeah, uh, that DDT as well, to be fair to him. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's more than Come Gigante. on, for, for, the ma- for the makeup and the kit alone. I mean, God, he was wearing a red, glittery clowns outfit terrible <laughs> <laughs> all right so do we uh do, do, our new feature chad question for the listeners um what do we ask them last time uh what was the worst big time main event on a major show uh what was a match that was worse than flair versus jyd so let me uh let me see here uh we had uh peter threw up scott steiner versus uh versus Triple H from Royal Rumble 2003, which I think is a very good candidate. And uh, also Raja Lion versus uh, Giant Baba, which were some truly wretched matches. And then uh, a new poster, Mr. LaSalle, so welcome to the board. He he said the uh, match where Jeff Hardy was stoned out of his mind and in no condition to perform against Sting, which that was a main event of a TNA pay-per-view parv. And basically, uh, you know, Jeff Hardy gets in the ring stone, Sting gives him the death drop and pins him in like a minute. So the main event went a minute. Right. Okay. 
I think that that's it for that show. We had a lot of good comments, though. I enjoyed reading all the uh, all the comments that we yeah. got for the show. But 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 our, our new rule is that if you want to get on air, you have to answer the question of the show, right? That's <laughs> that's what we're saying here. Yeah, <laughs> shout out. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, uh, what have we got here then? Uh, so what is the new question? The new question for the uh, Chad, have you got one? <laughs> yeah, well one thing we wanted to talk about was kind of comparing because we did have the Ultimate Warrior uh, win, win his title at WrestleMania 6, of course. And then, uh, and then we had Sting win here. So it's kind of just kind of compare those compare that to the wrestlemania 6 main event uh actually which match you think's better because i do think you can make an argument that the steam flare match here is better than the ultimate challenge and uh, which moment you think is bigger and then also one other thing that i like is uh you know you had flair's big moment at starcade 1983 but that was a match that neither me or you like very much par so I'd be interested to see if anybody likes uh, which match they prefer between the Starcade 1983 match and this one as well. Um, mm. So I think those two, those two uh, kind of big overarching themes of the main event would be interesting to get some people's thoughts on. So what's that? Flair's big win, Sting's big win, or Warrior's big win? Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, you can kind of compare I'm all three. Interested to see the original plan was for Sting to win the title in about February. Correct. Right. If yes, he would have so, how would that have compared to Abe doing it before Warrior, and then how would Sting's Summer have gone? I guess with the title. Yeah. Well, you see, this, this may be, uh, you know, where people come in and say, you know, part of your still a WF mark at heart, but in my mind, it's just like. It pains me to say it, given that you know, given that we do WCW, Chad. But uh, to me, that ultimate challenge—I mean, doesn't it just seem like a different league to you? That moment. I think that's the production WWE, though. Yeah, but doesn't it like? I don't know. Let's let listeners decide. Maybe uh, we, we've got some pretty hardcore NWA fans who listen to this show, right? So maybe maybe they'll see it. Uh, maybe they'll see it a different way. But um, I can't I can't help but think it it seems like a kind of it's almost like an A movie and a B movie type thing um, at this point in 1990. But I could be wrong. I could be uh... <sighs> okay. And uh, what 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 are we? Where are we going next? Uh, Chad, next show? Uh, next will be Clash 12. Uh, so that'll be uh, our next show. And like I've said a couple times now, that's really when the Clash matches have a lot of filler. Uh, but we do get a Flair Luger match on that show. And then we also get our first appearance of the Black Scorpion. So look forward to that. <laughs> Can't wait. But uh, thank you very much, Derek. You uh, you lasted the course. Uh, we I said we wouldn't go long, but we have. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much for your time, um, Derek. And uh, do you want to give a final shout out to where they can find your guest booking and whatnot? Absolutely. I want to thank both of you guys. It's been a tremendous opportunity to come and talk to you and show uh, show your listeners that you know I, I know what I'm talking about. I love WCW. I love WWE. I'm just a fan of pro wrestling. Um, 
so much so that I spent all my time writing it. Uh, if you go to bigelow34.proboards.com, uh, look for the Territory Wars. Um, my name is Rav P on the board, so shoot me a message. Check out our stuff. It is uh, definitely the place to be when it comes to fantasy wrestling. Again, that's the Territory Wars on the place to be. Thank you guys again. It has been uh, a great evening spending with you. Thank you very much, Derek. And until next time, Chad, so long for now. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>